Oh, yeah? Tell me more about it, Linda, because you're talking so fucking loud. Oh, maybe that's the... Ch- I thought that was fucking Linda. I mean everything on Linda. Linda's a nice lady. Do you want me to start this one since I'm odds? And then if it's two, you can start the next 75 or... Yeah. I was or, like, just so we know who's starting. Just we'll just have you start. Just we'll treat we'll treat it like it's normal recording. Okay. Or this could just be our introduction to seventy five. Try and figure out because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah, because this is our seventy fifth episode and we're still fucking lost every single time. I'm just gonna take a big sip ski of my margarita. Hey, cheers to sixty years, there, friend. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? This is I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Christina. And I'm Amanda. And uh, it's episode 75. 70 fucking five. Who, who knew we'd be doing this still? I was just going to say, who would have fucking thought? Not Linda, because she's asked me at least twice when we're going to stop doing this. <laughs> uh, no plans to, Linda. No plans to. <laughs> Don't fucking worry about it, Linda. <laughs> so when you, like, when are you finished Well, and it's not because she, like, doesn't want us to do it. It's because she doesn't understand what a podcast is. So she's like, and no, no matter how many times I've tried to explain it to her, she just doesn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. So she's like, so when is it like, end? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Unless we end it, Linda. Unless so when are you going to like end it? We're, uh, that's a bad thing. We don't. <laughs> that's w- if we end it, it's probably not for good reasons. <laughs> there are probably negative things happening in one of our lives and or it's not going well. <laughs> Let's be honest. We would have to end it because one of us said something questionable and people got offended. And, and by then... one of us, she means me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do mean Christina. But you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's Sometimes probably what I it is. Someone freak out and leave us all these angry things and we'll be like, fuck you to everybody. And then we're, then we just have to be done. We'll just be like, fuck it, man. Shit. Fuck it, man. Throw shit. a paper up in the air like Sheldon and fucking bounce. Fuck your toes. <laughs> fuck this one. <laughs> What? 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 Oh my god. Amanda hadn't heard that song before. I made her listen to it tonight, and her facial reactions were probably the best I've ever seen her make during listening to a song. Wet ass pussy. <laughs> I was like, so they just like don't play this on the radio then. Macaroni in a pot. <laughs> I'm just for the most part, beat. I'm on it. I like it. And then it says wet ass pussy. Or, I'm like, or oh, are god. you ready? Wet and gushy. <laughs> oh, okay. Can we stop talking about the gushy part of it? I have that song in my head now, so I'm just like, whop, whop, whop. Uh, you're fucking ridiculous. How you doing, kid? How's your week? I'm just enjoying my margarita. Get it, get it. Oh, yeah, we're drinking tequila. I already took my shirt off because I was... Tequila hot. <laughs> she was hot with tequila. We ate Chipotle, so our butts are falling off later instead of now. We're all full of gas and tequila. There's going to be like a little uh, fiesta in the colon later. Yep. We're just going to party right out the butthole. <laughs> right out the butthole. <laughs> My butthole already hurts from the fucking boat today. All those bumps. Like I feel like I land directly on my butthole every time. Just right, right on my gaping butthole. It's either- <laughs> okay, you added gaping. My butthole is not gaping. It's either my butthole or my taint. It's just the tequila. 
either way, she's sore. So on top of that, it's gonna be a fucking volcano tomorrow. <laughs> Good news. Good news. <laughs> Maybe it'll make me lose some weight. I have to you know? stop laughing when the microphone is that close. <laughs> <laughs> 75 episodes in, still haven't figured it out yet. Get your shit together, Nielsen! Back that ass up when you laugh. <laughs> I can't help it. I don't know when I'm gonna spontaneously laugh. Sometimes I just need to release my joy. Oh, God. If only you could see how she's flopping her arms around like she's a fucking chicken. <laughs> you big clucker. You big cluck cluck. <laughs> This is, uh, they're gonna like start the episode and be like, is this really how it starts? (laughs) So far, we've talked about wet ass pussy. Buttholes. Gaping buttholes. You added the gaping! I just said it hurt my butthole. I always add gaping. (laughs) It's so uncomfortable. Well, my thought is if it's really hurting your butthole and it's hitting your butthole, it's a sphincter. It's a muscle holding it tight. It hurts yeah, when but it gets there's jammed. Cheeks, like protecting it. So are the cheeks gaping? No, your, your cheeks should be cushioning the sphincter. My cheeks don't stay together when I sit down, Christina. They're not like this. They spread. They're not like spread out, but like they flatten out. So they're not gonna go. I don't sit down clenching my butt together. <laughs> I really hope my parents can hear. Oh, yeah, we're recording in my basement again. Yeah, we're in the giant's toilet, drinking tequila. Oh, that like Chipotle and tequila. Eating Chipotle. Tom's upstairs listening to his TV. He turned the TV up so fucking loud. She had to yell at him. I, I had to go, Dad, I will murder you! <laughs> He's like... Oh, should I turn it down? Because he was doing it on purpose. Well, and then he called you and was just like, make sure you tell me when you start recording so I can turn it back up. (laughs) It's like, shut up, Thomas. (laughs) I will kill you. (laughs) It's a murder podcast. It's fine. Yeah. Threatening murder is fine on a murder podcast. It's satire. (laughs) That's what everything is, right? Satire. It's just all satire. I've been listening to last podcast on the left and their Jonestown episodes. I totally just listened to those ones but too. Before I started them, I was listening because I'd never listened to their Charles Ng and Leonard Lake one. Oh, really? And so you, Henry's impression of Charles Ng, <laughs> it's Jack you were. It's Jack you were. It's Jack you were. They're just so funny. <laughs> I've restarted because I like when they moved over to to Spotify. I restarted listening from the beginning, like all of their episodes. Yeah. <sighs> so you've listened to the Casey Anthony one recently? No, because I've been Cause like, that one was like right before. No, because I've been Town. skipping around. I haven't been going in order. Okay, I was like, so you're gonna know all my information? No, plus some because I'm not as good as Marcus I probably would have known more about Jody Arias because I've actually like followed all of that on like CNN and shit than on on Casey Anthony. See, and I didn't. I knew the Casey Ar- Casey Arias. Okay. The fuck? <laughs> That's Jody the most Arias. fucked up combination I've ever heard you say. <laughs> What the what the fuck? Uh no, the Jody Arias case, like I know the general story, 
And now I listened to last podcast on the left's two part of it. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't realize all the shit that came with it. Like yeah. all the background stuff. So um, interesting. Just in case you were wondering, Amanda's half of this episode is Casey Anthony. Oh, yeah. If, ever, <laughs> if anybody's like confused right now, that's my big, my big choice for our 75th episode was Casey Anthony because she's a fucking bitch. She's a real fucking cunt bag. Whoa. That was... <laughs> That was intense. That might have been the tequila, but it's fine. <laughs> She's the real fucking cunt bag. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a weird, weird, weird name to call someone. <laughs> I've heard a bag of dicks. <laughs> a cunt bag. <laughs> You're right. Douchebag. That's a weird combination. <laughs> She's a real cunt. <laughs> that was Duff the Tequila making up that combination. I don't even, I don't even know what I said. <laughs> I don't even know what that fucking means. Um, what do you got for our uh, big seventy-five? I don't know if you guys are ready for this. I don't know if you can handle it. The conspiracy—it's real on the nose for what's happening right now on Facebook. Hmm. Weird. It's not what I planned. I didn't. I've been thinking about doing this for a while, but then it all blew up, and I was like, well. Now I gotta do it. It's time. It is time. It's time. If you guys remember way, way back in the way, way back machine on way, episode way four of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. Episode four. Holy shit. Go back and listen. It's a real gem. But maybe not because I tell you, I reiterate some of the stuff. Yeah, it's fine. don't listen to it now. Listen to it later. Just, <laughs> just shut up and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> just shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> I did. The Beast of Beldrum, Mark Dutro, and that cunt bag is a real piece of shit. Yes. And there was a whole bunch of conspiracy theories surrounding him in regarding a giant pedophile ring. Huh, weird. He's been referred to as the Jeffrey Epstein of Belgium. Oh, yes. And yes. I don't disagree. Okay. I've done quite a bit of digging, so this isn't about Mark Dutro. If you really want to know, like the whole murder story and everything, how he was arrested and all that bullshit, because that's a wild fucking ride. You gotta listen to episode four, or Google it yourself. You can fucking read. And uh... <laughs> wow, <laughs> you can fucking read. No, I can't. Just you can't one. read. Does it make you mad? Um, or one listener. I can't. I can't read. <laughs> listen, like a five-year-old's listening to this. <laughs> Shit, use a compact. <laughs> Don't repeat that unless someone's picking on you in the playground. Then you have my permission. <laughs> Get out Get of here, you fucking compact. <laughs> what? What? That's when um, Miss Amanda goes. Ah! <laughs> Guys, get down from there. <laughs> hey. No, that's when I pull out the big guns and be like, you're not in control of anybody else's actions. You're only in control of your own. Oh, shit. Ah! Except I do the low voice and then they're like, the ah. mom voice. <laughs> okay, sorry. Focus. Mark Dutro. Uh, Mark Dutro. So what I'm going to be talking about today is all of the conspiracy theories that are surrounding that case and kind of the pedophile ring shit. Okay. That goes around it. Um, there's a lot more than what I'm going to be telling today because I went down a deep, dark well that I did not intend to go down. 
and I had like 25 pages and I was like, this is a lot of information. I'm going to narrow it and kind of sum it up and just kind of right. dip my toe in each of these. So if you guys really want to get lost in the internet in like a crazy red yarn string board on your wall, you can fucking Google it. Google it. So it's worth the Google. For those of you who didn't listen to episode four, first of all, what the fuck are you doing? Second of all, jeez, you're <laughs> aggressive. Like, why are you coming at them like that? I'm sorry. I love you all. You, that's also a lie, and you know it. There might be some of you that are assholes, and maybe I don't love you. But that's right fine. Now, I love the fact that you're listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark Dutro, he's one of the most prolific pedophile slash serial killers ever to come out of Europe. During the 80s and 90s, he raped and murdered at least 11 young girls, murdering at least five of them. I remember. So, also, that just the, it's just the cherry on top of this whole thing is it's, I bet you guys haven't heard of him unless you're, like, real deep into it. And this took place in 2004. Do any of you remember any news articles about this? Because I fucking don't. Nope. When I stumbled upon this little fucking gem 71 episodes ago. Math. Math. Look at you. Um, I had never fucking heard of him. And I'm like, how have I not? But then again, I had never heard of... Epstein or the Franklin cover-up. I was blown away by that, right, too. Right, and the so. Epstein shit has been coming out since, like, 1995. They just keep hide- hiding it. it. Yeah. So, uh, so he was convicted on all charges along with, um, along with the murder of a suspected former accomplice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was sentenced to life in prison. His, but he had multiple accomplices, so they included Michelle Martin, Michelle Lelivier, Michelle Newell, they all have the fucking same name, Jesus Christ. Is this their real name? <laughs> yeah, and Bernard Weinstein, not the same. Um, Martin was convicted and sentenced as a accomplice. Martin, Michelle Martin was, like, one's a female, which was his, like, lover, and then Michelle Lelevier was a dude. So okay. there's two. So Martin was convicted and sentenced as an accomplice to 30 years in prison while Lely Vieira was sentenced to 25 years and Bernard Weinstein was actually murdered by Dutro and that was who he was sentenced for. Okay. Michel Nihol was a wealthy businessman um, and was initially tried as an accomplice to the kidnappings but was acquitted of the charges due to insuff- insufficient evidence. But then he was convicted of involvement in a gang that participated in human and drug trafficking and was sentenced to five years in prison. Holy shit. We'll fucking get to him, okay? Wow. All right. Um, so this whole thing enraged Belgium. Um, there was the White March, which I'll go over. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a whole bunch of dem- demonstrations. Uh, they It caused a whole bunch of massive government reforms. Some of this stuff I said in episode four, it's a repeat, but I'm just trying to sum it up. Right. Um, um, so there was a lot of unanswered questions involving the case, which is what we're going to fucking be testicle deep in today so don't say testicle (laughs) deep in something that deals with a child pedophile ring you're right that was a poor choice of words on my part we're just gonna (laughs) and i apologize we're gonna dive into it today um so first thing we're gonna go over is the police mishandling of the investigation okay so some of this you're gonna remember yes Dutro's mother wrote a letter to the authorities stating that she knew that Dutro had kidnapped two girls, was keeping them in his house. Those yes. two girls later died in this basement of starvation. Yes. The cops ignored it. Then Lejeune and Russo were two of the girls, those were their last names, were kidnapped in 95. It took police 14 months to arrest Dutro, even though he had been a prime suspect from the start and had committed similar crimes before. 
during the search for Lejeune and Russo, police visited, those are the two girls that died in his house. They mm-hmm. visited Dutro's house twice, where they were being held in the basement in his creepy little jail cell that he had built. But no attempts were made to free them. They didn't, they were behind a hidden wall. Even though the locksmith who accompanied the police said that he heard girls screaming in the house. I remember that. The cop said, who's the police officer here? Not you. Get the fuck out of here. So, during the search of the house, they found several videotapes, along with, we're going to go over this again, chains, vaginal creams, and speculums. I remember that, because you're like, oh no. Uh, They marked all of that evidence as unimportant. Unimportant. (laughs) Was it unimportant? Unimportant. (laughs) Unimportant. And they were left out of the investigation. The videotapes were never reviewed um, or would not be reviewed for several years. They were, even though they had been in the possession of the police since December of 1995. Really? They had actually been passed on to the prosecutors in the case, but not the judges. So the judges never even saw them. Uh, Furthermore, some of the videotapes were actually returned to Mark Dutroux by police officer Rene Michau, who was the one who told the locksmith to get the fuck out of there without ever being looked at. And then the videos were reportedly stolen. So those were never reviewed. In 1999, they were doing a overview of this case. There was one judge who was a badass and was trying to, like, figure out what the fuck was going on. He ended up losing his job. But we'll get to that. Uh, But the tapes were finally reviewed. Some of them were in 1999, after, obviously, the girls had died. And they had showed Dutroux constructing the dungeon in which the girls were being held. Mm-hmm. Had police looked at it, they would have found the dungeon and been able to go back and find the girls before they died. Mm-hmm. One of them showed Dutroux raping a young woman in Slovakia, which is a part of, they believe, was part of the pedophile ring that he would run girls from Slovakia. And it's raping oh a God. girl in Slovakia. The videos would have made it possible to identify other victims and also exactly determine the severity of the torture that the victims had to endure. But they weren't they reviewed during the case. Yeah. There were actually thousands of hairs and fingerprints found in the cellar dungeon where Lejeune and Russo were being held. And not a single one of them was tested for DNA. Really? So there was evidence, they believe, of people coming in and out of those jail cells. The jail dungeon. Right, the cells he made. And none of them, none of it was reviewed. That's, I hate that. Okay. Uh, well, event at, at the time. So, eventually some of them were tested. And out of 6,000 hair samples that were found in the basement cellar, where the victims were held, 25 unknown DNA profiles were discovered. So wow. at least 25 different people, at least, at least, had been in that jail cell area. Uh, there were people in that cellar that are not now accused or that they don't know existed that were being held there. The other thing was there was accusations of language difficulties during the investigation. So there was a, a testimony of Regina Loof, who was in Dutch, However, it was reviewed several times by the new investigators who were primarily French. And so her testimony was thrown out because they the way it was her? the way it was translated made it sound less credible. Oh, okay. Uh and then like I had said, he had been under investigation 
since August of 1995. And I went over this in detail in episode four. But Dutro yep. had been under surveillance due to his many crimes called Operation Othello. But the cameras had been installed outside of his house were only set up to record during the day. I remember that. And from like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And after that, at night they would shut off and everything. So they would actually have been able to see the girls like because he would let them out occasionally walking around the house in chains. Yeah. Uh, and then after the house was searched and the stakeout of Dutro's house got called off and he was cleared of any suspicion. Oh my god. I I remember how frustrating this case was. Yeah. Now. So I'm like, you were, he was, you were right fucking there. You were across the street when girls were dying of starvation, trapped in a tiny little jail cell in the basement of his house. Hmm. You fucking pieces of shit. Okay. Uh, so okay. that's all the ways the cops fucked the interview or the investigation up okay now we're gonna go into all of the trial and all of the missing witnesses because there were over 25 what and all of them are dead or missing they got suicided so during the trial itself things were not much better he alleged that dutro immediately alleged that other individuals were involved in a pedophile <laughs> ring and that he was just a pawn uh, and witnesses that were going to testify to this either went missing or turned up dead. Uh, Belgium's police chief, justice minister, and interior minister all resigned as the trial began for no reason. They wouldn't explain Interesting. why. More than 20 potential witnesses in the case have either die have died in mysterious circumstances. We're going to go over some of them. Just turn the page here. So we have Jean-Paul Tamignau. Um, he rented a garage across the hangar that Dutroux was using in uh, February 4th of 1995. After telling a friend that he received important information about Dutroux, his foot was found in the river one year later. And the complete corpse was never found. So he went missing and then they found his foot floating in the river a year later. Did you tell that part during... No. I was like, it sounds familiar to something. Um... Then there's Simon Ponflet, policemen that were investigating the car smuggling ring, because he was, that's what he was originally under surveillance for for so long, because he was a part of a car smuggling ring. Right. Um, and policemen that were investigating the car smuggling ring around Utro was shot during the, his night shift in his office in February 21st of 96, and he was believed to have more information than what was put in the investigation and had been interviewed. Oh. So Christian Conrads was a prisoner who was supposed to be questioned about his connections to Detroit, but managed to escape and then was found dead one month after the escape. Uh, Jose Step, well, uh, was connected. He was a well-connected person um, from Belgium who said that he had important info on Dutroux. Two days before testifying to the police, he dropped dead um, and... Rufi, a Rufinol? Rufi, was found injected into his inhaler for asthma. Oh. And that was on... Interesting. Yeah. So then you have Brigitte Gennard, who was a friend of Michelle Newell, that fancy dude that got for the pedophile ring, was yep. a dent in her his dentist. Oh. One year after the trial for Dutro started, she was set to testify and she committed suicide. Oh, she got suicided. Mm -hmm. There was Anna Conhevado. Uh, she had contact with contacted the police to tell them about connections to a porn ring around Dutro to Eastern Europe and Slovakia. 
She was found beaten, choked, and dumped in the river um, on July 4th, 98. Wow. Uh, then there was Gina Pardane, who was a social worker supporting victims of child pornography. A child pornography ring told friends that she saw a child pornography tape in which one girl was murdered and claimed she recognized one of the perpetrators as the acquaintance of Michelle Newell. Uh, after calling the police to tell them that she had been threatened with death by car accident, in connection with her work, she was she died in a car crash. Uh, she was going 80 miles an hour and rammed into a bridge railing. Wow. That was November 15th of 98. Uh, then Sandra Clay's ex-girlfriend of Leila Vier said that she had heard him and Dutro talking about a way to make a lot of money, and she committed suicide. Uh, then there was uh, Nade Renard, who was an acquaintance of Dutroux, uh, before wanting to give, he wanted to give a list of contacts surrounding Dutroux to authorities. He died in a car crash. You know, in April of 2001. I feel like there's going to be a lot of that stuff happening within the next few years right now. Yeah, with Ghislaine Maxwell and Epstein. Yep, yep. It's weird. It's fucking How, weird. How, like, a whole bunch of... How, like, hashtag Epstein didn't kill himself? It's fucking weird. Hashtag broken jaw, what the fuck? Hashtag <laughs> uh, suicided. Hashtag Where were the security cameras? Hashtag where were the security guards? Hashtag he didn't fucking kill himself? Hashtag set up! <laughs> I mean, Allegedly. <laughs> hashtag allegedly <laughs> <laughs> hashtag y'all know the truth <laughs> so guy Goldells, who was a police officer he was suicide by a headshot back of the head yeah okay with gun he worked the case from the start um then there was bruno we talked about this couple here so there was bruno i touched on it in the, fir the first episode so bruno taglia faro who was acquaintance of dutro he was a scrap dealer people allege that he was blackmailed and forced to commit crimes before his death he told his wife that he was going to die um because he knew too much his wife told a witness that he got rid of a car that was used to kidnap two girls he was poisoned. It was first ruled as suicide, but declared murder by poison after an autopsy. Um. So then his wife, after finding important documents of her husband and calling the police and asking for police protection, she died of suicide, but her she was burned on her bed after her bedroom was filled with methanol and lit on fire. Suicide. And they call that suicide. But why? <laughs> but, how, but why? But why? Why though? That, but why though? So that was just a, that wasn't even all 20. That was just, I just picked, I picked, right, a cherry picked a, a big handful of them. Interesting. So there's all of these witnesses that have suspicious deaths around him. So now we're going to get into Dutro's claims. All right. Get ready to be pissed off. Oh, I've I've been pissed off for the last week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dutro confessed to kidnapping, raping, drugging, torturing, and filming children for many years. He also claimed he was doing it at the behest of political elite who financed his career as a professional trafficker. Huh. Hashtag Epstein. Uh, 
<clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. I got a, I got a tickle in my throat. Uh, 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 hashtag save our children. Anyway, not only <laughs> it's so true. Not only did this political elite finance his efforts, they made specific requests of him. Sometimes they requested specific types of children. They were called party favors, and he was asked to deliver kids of a certain age, sex, or race. Sound familiar? Sometimes they requested specific means of torturing the children to fulfill their desires. Orgies, Ugh. satanic rituals involving sacrifices, and torture games. And sometimes they requested he film certain influential people engaged in these acts later for blackmail. Uh, which, okay, so that explains, I think, a lot of the tapes. Right. You know, um, he claimed many of his customers and financiers were world leaders this was not a stretch of the imagination. He lived in Belgium, where the EU and NATO headquarters were located. Uh, and this statement was also corroborated by victims who were able to identify specific politicians. So, he claimed that he was the low dog in a powerful pedophile network. He further claimed that Michel Newell was the organizer of their abductions. So, his lover? No, had... Michelle Newell was the guy who was affluent and didn't... He got acquitted of all the charges in this case. Oh. But then got f five years in prison for, like, gang of some, like, pedophile. What yeah, is for for um <clears throat> what you just said. The... What was it? He got convicted of involvement in a gang that participated in human and drug trafficking. Yes. Uh, trafficking. That was the word I was mm -hmm. looking for. So... He, uh, so he claimed that Michelle Newell was the organizer. He said that he did torture and abuse all of the girls, but denied killing any of them until the very end. That doesn't make it better, asshole. Oh, okay. I just waited, though. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it better. Fuck. Uh. Uh, he further denied the kidnapping and raping and murdering of Julie Lejeune and Melissa Russo. He admitted to incarcerating them at one of his houses. So he said someone else kidnapped them. He locked them in the house. Because he was technically in jail when they died. So he was arrested for that car ring. Mm -hmm. He was in jail. And then they searched his house for those girls. Because he was a suspect. And they were in there. And his girlfriend, Michelle... Oh yeah, she shooed him off, right? Yeah, no. She let them search the house. And they heard the girls crying. Yeah! But she wouldn't... She didn't feed them. Yeah. And, they and she that. actually threw food in there. But they were chained by the neck and couldn't, couldn't reach get it. To it. And oh my so gosh, they died. what torture! Yeah, so they died of starvation. Oh. Uh, so he also claimed that he had, he was trying to protect them from a power and sinister, powerful and sinister child sex ring. So he also had some like mental things where he wanted, he had like this weird fucking look. He was the one who wanted to create a mine shaft to live in with all of the little girls. Oh. And I'm like, you're not the fucking troll king. Gross. Um, oh, yeah. He wanted made... to protect them. So it was almost like he was a part of this child pedophile ring and then he found these girls and wanted to protect them. So he was keeping them locked in his basement kind of thing. In his mind. Yeah. Not that it, that's not justifying it. I'm just saying that's his right justification for it. Um, And his testimony that he had never actually raped Lejeune and Russo was supported slightly because when he was examined by multiple psychiatrists... They cl they stated he did not fit the pedophile ring or right. profile. He wasn't a sexually sexually motivated, motivated yeah. to children. It was he. They were almost kid opportunit opportunistic kidnappings, right? 
So they they didn't say that he himself was technically a pedophile. Right. Okay. Under the classification. Um, but that he wasn't attracted to children, but might have chosen children, abduct younger victims because they were easy to manipulate and control. Exactly. So he did admit, admit, it, admit to raping um, Lambrex, who was the girl that they saved. There were two girls that they saved after Lejeune and Russo died that were also kidnapped yep. and had been held for a long time and they were they saved them. So he did admit to raping her, um, but he said that Weinstein had raped Marshall, which was the other girl that he had kidnapped. Um, he also admitted to drugging both of them, and he also admitted that he kidnapped uh, Sabine Dardenne who, and raped her, who also survived. Okay. Um, he also admitted to kidnapping and um, raping Letitia Delhez. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong. Lambrex and... Marshall died too. It's Sabine Dardenne and Letitia Delhez that survived. Okay. Um, and he said that he admitted to raping and kidnapping them, but saved them by not handing them over to Michelle Nahul uh, to spare them um, the fate of the other two girls that died. Okay. Um, That's... And, but they, his defense lawyer was correct in saying that the police investigation never, they did not do one ounce of, in the prosecution as well, never followed up on any evidence of a network surrounding Dutrell. Yeah, no, that's, I remember that because we were like, it was this big thing and it all lines up and then they never even looked at it. Right. So there's, it, it, <sighs> I'm, he's not a good guy. He deserves to be in prison the rest of his life. Right. I'm just saying it's bigger than just him. Right. Well, and that's And exactly that's what it. was never looked into. So, uh, some of the more suspicious people and activities now we're going to get into that kind of go along with this. So, like I said, Michelle Nahuel was a businessman that was known to frequently attend sex parties he was accused of being the brains behind the child kidnapping and abuse operation by Dutro. He was charged in relation to the case, um, but was acquitted and then was charged for the human trafficking and drug yep. trafficking. Um, Nahol's lawyer in the case, Frederick Clement, uh, denied all charges made against him. Uh, but Dutro called him a liar and a manipulator, obviously. And there was an actual investigative reportist, Olenka Frankel, who met Nihol in Brussels. And he reportedly greeted her with the words, I am the monster of Belgium, which is what they call Dutro. Uh-huh. Uh, he told her that he was certain that he would never be prosecuted, though. And during the encounter, he grabbed her, tickled her, and pulled her onto him so that she called for her colleagues to help her get away from him. What the fuck? Yeah. What? Yeah. And she was working on a documentary on the case for the BBC. Oh my gosh. What in the hell? Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't- Hey, don't fucking tickle me. F don't fucking touch me. <laughs> don't you fucking- Don't fucking touch me. <laughs> uh, so in 2004, at the end of the Dutro case trial, he was released of all charges in the child abduction. Um- and then in May of 2010, the Belgian pro prosecutor's office dropped all charges against Nuhol relating to participation in a pedophile ring in the absence of tangible evidence. Oh, yeah? 
Maybe because all the fucking victims or witnesses keep dying? It's fucking weird. Yeah. I do What? Okay. So. Okay. Moving on. At least seven members of law enforcement were arrested on suspicion of having ties to Mark Dutrell. Hmm. Weird. One of them was George... Uh, George Zico, a police detective believed to be an associate of Dutroux, and according to prosecutor, he was charged with truck theft, document forgery, and insurance fraud. So he might have been a part of that theft ring. So the judge presiding over the Dutroux case, Judge Jean-Claude Van Espen, had a close relationship with Michelle Nahol. Okay. So a journalist revealed that as a lawyer, Van Espen had represented the wife of Nihol, and Van Espen's sister was the godmother of Nihol's child. And that's how his his spot he was acquitted. Oh, it's fucking weird. Um, okay. However, even though his close friend Michelle Nahuel was involved in the case, he was never resigned, and was also not removed from the case for a very long time. Even though um, Judge John Mark Cornett, who was the guy who ended up losing his job, he was removed simply for attending a fundraiser dinner. That Nihol had attended. And he was the one who was wanting to do investigations and dig deeper and demanded, like, more investigative work be done. Some fucking bullshit. That's yes. what that is. He was also the judge presiding over, or Van Espen was the judge that presided over the murder case of Christine Van Hees in 1984. Is it Van Eyes? Van Eyes. That's what I meant. Okay. I was like, wait. <laughs> um, and he only resigned from his case in 98 when he was accused of being involved in the murder, uh, and Van Espen's closed ties to him were revealed. So all these things are, like, known and shown that there's, like, these ties to these people, mm -hmm. but so then, it's not, nothing's done about it? Like, nothing's, it's not used for anything, all the information? Right. Bullshit. Okay. So then Judge, Judge Jean-Marc Cornette, he actually de testified in the Dutro case. And in the witness box, he stated that there had been a high-level murder plots to stop his investigation from the child sex mafia. So he was trying to do an open investigation in that where there were murder plots surrounding it. Right. Um, he stated that he had to drive in a bulletproof car and had armed guards around him at all times because shadowy figures from the crime world were threatening him. The police had informed him that murder contracts had been taken out against the prosecutors in the case. He alleged that the organized crime methods were used to discredit his work and make sure that the investigation would end in judicial failure. And he ended up being removed from the case. Huh. Weird. Um, he criticized authorities for not rescuing Lejeune and Russo, even though Dutroux had been the prime suspect for one year before they were found dead. He also said that he had received files describing a child sex network and it described the seizure of children and foreign trafficking um the sum of 150,000 francs was mentioned for the price of a for a girl in that correspondence that he uh -huh. received he also said that he was doubtful about the f official explanation of how Lejeune and Rousseau died because so it was said that they starved to death in the dungeon but an adult can last about 3 days without water and a maximum of 60 days without food uh-huh correct if they received nothing to drink and eat, they should have been dead very soon after Dutro was imprisoned. However, Michelle Martin insisted that they were still alive when he returned back to the house and he was in prison for six months. So then someone would have had to have been feeding them. Mm-hmm. And then stopped. Or they died another way. 
Interesting. Okay. Um, press reports claimed that before his removal, Judge John Mark Cornett was on the verge of publicly disclosing the names of high-level government officials who had been recognized on videotapes. Cornett had said that the businessman Michel Newell was the brains behind the operation, and investigators also believed that Dutro and Newell were planning a long-distance prostitution trafficking network involving cars and the import of girls from Slovakia. Oh, Wayfair. Uh, uh. (laughs) Hashtag Wayfair. Wayfair, you got just what I need. Okay. Okay. Uh, allegedly <laughs> alleged hashtag allegedly um but then he was removed from the case so none of that happened uh, <sighs> and then renee michelle the cop that searched the house and said you don't hear the girl screaming go away yeah um who he failed to save lujuna russo even though um Michelle had committed grave failures in his duty as a police officer in what was one of the most important criminal cases in the history of Belgium. He was never removed or put on leave, like other officers in the case had been, and he was actually promoted to the position of police commissioner. This bitch. Yeah, no fucking kidding. This is like... It's making me crack my neck and my neck will crack no more. Sorry, I just needed a little shot of tequila to get me through this. Am I boring you, or is this interesting? No, it's interesting. Okay. I'm just so tired. I know. No, I'm just it's, making sure it's not it's boring really, the audience. So you know. No, I wouldn't <laughs> say. I wouldn't say it's boring at all. I'm like, I'm just having a hard time keeping my eyes open. It's not. <laughs> it's not you. It's just the lack of sleep. <laughs> okay. So Dutro's. Well, we're gonna get. Now we're going over all the money he had. Oh, all the monies. Yeah. So despite being unemployed. And receiving public assistance of $1,200 a month, he owned 10 houses. And his total worth when he was arrested was 6 million Belgian francs. But how? Was about, he had about $150,000 in the bank. (coughs) Which is U.S. money. But he didn't have a job. Yeah. That's, that's kind of. Very similar to that Epstein thing where they're like, how did he have so much money? Yes. Um, all He had a whole bunch of wealth in those properties, too. He had ten houses. Right. Um, it isn't clear how Dutro was able to acquire the ten properties. Documents were released by WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks that show large sums of money in different currencies arriving in Michelle Martin's bank account, timely linked to the disappearances of abducted girls. The money was also transferred in foreign currencies from Morocco and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Both the transfers and the value of the six properties that Dutro owned suggested, I mean 10 properties, owned suggested to investigators that he was financed by a larger. Right. I mean, I don't know how else it would work. A Flemish newspaper reported that he had committed health insurance, fund fraud, theft insurance fraud, and investment on the stock market, and that that had contributed to his wealth, but they couldn't find any, like, actual proof of that six million dollars well that's belgian franc so it's like 150,000 us dollars just okay. in his bank account but he also had 10 houses right so that's more money um they also other outlets suggested that he acquired his wealth through the criminal activity of drug fa- trafficking the car ring stuff like that uh-huh but you they also questioned how much money you could make in a like car ring well right too because you have a whole bunch of people working that it's not just you making the money and so you're having to split things um 
so there was also claims from the family. So Paul, Paul Marshall, um, the father of the murdered Anne Marshall, accused the police and the judicial system of a cover-up in 2001. Um, he was angry that still in 2001, the trial hadn't even started for Dutro and had already been under and he'd under been arrest for several years. Uh-huh. Uh, he said it feels like they don't want to find the truth about it. Mm-hmm. Corrine Russo and her husband, Gino Russo, were not permitted to identify her daughter or look at her body. They were told by authorities that Dutro had identified her and that that was enough. The- what? Yeah. That's bullshit. That's, like, not okay. Yeah, so the autopsy of Russo showed that she had been raped repeatedly over a prolonged period of time. There was no DNA evidence taken from her body to conclusively make sure that only Dutro had raped her, and he had always denied raping her. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just, but... <sighs> Eventually... Several of the families of victims actually boycotted the trial, stating that it was a circus and there had been no progress in the case since the removal of Judge Cornett. Yep. So. The only person who was actually trying to figure something out? Yes. So now we're going to get into the deep state here. <laughs> oh, good. So now we're getting into the what's called the X-Files. Uh, oh. I feel like I've heard that before. And the Abrasic Sext. Sect. I said sext. Making it weird. Sect. <laughs> okay. It's hard to say abrasics sect. <laughs> abrasics sect? Yeah, it's demon. We'll get there. Oh. So the X-Files were testimonies of people who claimed to have been victims of Dutro. That WikiLeaks, like, gathered together in there. They did a full investigation and actually Belgium attempted to have it banned. Oh, wow. So, um... They were testimonies of people who claimed to have been victims of Dutro. They had been created after Judge Jean-Marc Cornet had made a public appeal for victims to come forward. In total, at least 10 victims subsequently contacted the police. So WikiLeaks actually gathered all the information. They didn't contact WikiLeaks. Right. That's what I meant by that. All of the witnesses were given the code name of X and then a number. One of the witnesses named X1 actually revealed herself as Regina Louf. Um... She stated that from the age of 11 to 12 onwards, a family friend named Tony Vander Bogart took her to sex parties with the approval of her family. With the approval? What? what? Mm. Yeah. With the approval of her family? Mm-hmm. Oh, sounds like a great home you got there. I'm so sorry, honey. So several witnesses and family members of Loof confirmed that she had sexual relationship with Van Bo- Vanden Bogart starting from the age of 12. However, Vanden Bogart was, has never been interrogated, charged, or convicted for sexual abuse. She claimed that other minors were present at the parties and that those were secretly filmed for blackmail purposes. It was highly organized, big business, blackmail. There was a lot of money involved. Wow. During her testimony, she de- described some of the regular clients, including judges, a prominent politician, and one banker. She gave the police names, addresses, and detailed descriptions of two murders that matched unsolved cases of the two murders of teenage girls. Uh, She said that the parties didn't only include sex, but also sadism, torture, and murder. She claimed that one of the organizers of the parties was a man she knew as Mish, Jean-Michel Newell. Uh, She described him as a cruel man who sadistically tortured girls. 
Yeah. Um, she also said that Dutroux was at the time a young man who brought drugs to the parties for girls to numb themselves and took care of them in other ways. As a reward, he was allowed to use them for his pleasure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the crimes that she described took place about 10 years prior to the arrest of Dutroux. Okay. Um, her full name was leaked to the press, and then she was subsequently made out to look like a fatalist, like she was making it up. Uh-huh. And fantasticist is what I meant to say. And a liar. Uh, the new presiding judges declared that she was not a credible witness and that her testimony and the testimony of any of the other ex-witnesses would not be allowed during the trial. This reminds me so much of the Franklin cover-up. Yeah. It's wild. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the other ex-witnesses whose name wasn't revealed, but who's now working for the police, said that when they that they had witnessed and experienced similar abuse, they also recounted instances where children were chased through the woods by Dobermans. What the fuck? Yeah. Like the the dog. The dog. For fun. Oh yeah, sounds great. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a fucking joyous time. Um they also one another witness also testified that one of the people present at the gatherings that involved sex orgies with minors uh where the minors were tortured and murdered was Willie Clace who is the secretary general of NATO holy shit uh she also he resigned after he was found guilty of corruption in a tendering process for a large deference contract connected oh, so to he, helicopters so it's been proven that he has something it was for something not sexual yeah, related but it's still he dirty fucking person yeah uh, another girl another woman was a victim who testified claimed she was six years old when the cleaning lady hired by her mother sold her to a pedophile network in 1969 um her claims were that she was raped over 1700 times before turning 12 um that she was six years old when she was forced to participate in her first orgy which included wearing an iron dog collar and eating human excrement what the fuck she would actually be delivered back to her parents from time to time However, her parents themselves were complicit in the crimes. Um, other tortures include being strapped to a butcher's block um, used to execute other children. Other victims were forced to torture her for hours as part of their initiation. Um, she said she was saved when one of her abusers negotiated for her freedom and that abuser would later sit as a defendant in the Dutro trial. But they didn't say which one. Okay. I'm wondering if it was Dutro. Right, himself. Um, other victims and witnesses would soon come forward describing such things as black masses with child and adult sacrifices taking place in front of observers and participants, which included prominent political figures. Um, and it would be corroborated by a note found by a, by a letter that was found in a wooden house of Bernard Weinstein, which was the accomplice of Dutro that Dutro yep. murdered. Uh, and it said from the occult sect Abra- Abraxics, or Abraxics, which in which a gift for the high priestess was mentioned consisting of 17 girls between the ages of 2 and 20 for anal. Between 2 and 20. 2? Two? 2. I'm so uncomfortable with that. Yes. For anal, oral, and vaginal sex. I d- and it was signed by the priest Anubis, 
Um, it was that priest was later identified as Francis Desmond, and later investigations showed that four policemen in Charleroi were also members of the sect. One was even the treasurer. Oh my! Oh my God! What? Mm-hmm. This is what this is. I, I can't. I don't even know what to say. My brain is falling apart right now. Uh huh. So the headquarter for that sect was actually raided by 150 officers in '96. Um, they obtained a warrant and seized computers, documents, mail, actual human skulls, jars of blood, and all sorts of satanic items. Great. But none of it was enough to make an arrest. Just, wait, just having human remains without, that's not supposed to be okay, right? I I would think so. I, I feel like it shouldn't be okay. I, I would agree, but <laughs> that's where we're at. So, I'm so, no, I am so frustrated right now. <laughs> and I'm tired, but I'm not hungry anymore, so that's good. And I'm just like, it's like making me tear up. It's just so, what? Yeah. Okay, go on. I'm good. You're good? Mm-hmm. Okay, so as the Dutro trial went public, other victims stepped forward, confirmed testimony, offering up descriptions of other sexual abuse and human sacrifice. They described hunting parties where elites would release naked children into the woods to hide so that they themselves could hunt them down and slaughter them or be hunted by Dobermans. Um, I, I, what? This isn't the most dangerous game. This yeah. is real fucking life. Knock it off. Yeah. Um. So then we're done with that part of it now. Thank you. You're welcome. Sorry, guys. Uh... Then, so the White March, which I mentioned in the beginning. Yes. So in October of 96, more than 300,000 Belgians marched through the streets of Brussels after Judge Jean-Marc Cornet was removed from the case. So his removal actually is what was the catalyst for the White March. He was removed for attending a fundraising dinner for the families of the victims, which the court system claimed damaged his impartiality. Which... If this wasn't a totally fucked up situation. Where anyway. the other judge, on um, the judge that ended up presiding it over was a close friend of yeah. one of the defendants. If the this was the case here. and just like generally they were like, if there's any extra contact with anybody, we can't have you be, you know, like, cool. Makes sense. Awesome. But then. Right. The next judge is just like mm-hmm. a buddy buddy with. It's just bullshit. Okay. Right. So the the protesters demanded an investigation and reform of the police and justice system. They, it was called the White March uh, because Cornet was beloved by the public as a hero because the only two surviving victims were actually rescued on his initiative. So his investigation into this was like what led them to go, you need to go to his like and find him mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and a lot of protesters were wearing signs that said stop the cover up. So... Um, just to sum up, this is fucking bullshit. Um, (laughs) right? So I I had mentioned this earlier. Uh, in 2009, WikiLeaks published the Dutro dossier. Um, Belgian authorities tried to have the dossier taken down. The prosecutor general of Liège, um, said there is some true, some false, some very disparate information here involving some people who had done nothing wrong, who have simply been mentioned in an investigation, are thus exposed to public contempt, whereas all this material should have remained classified. Um. Uh. No. Not what I... But. 
the problem with that is, is nobody's looking into it. So who else is going to at that point? Right. Okay. So, like I said, this trial was in 2004. Why was it not splattered across every news station, like across the world? Like Epstein's is? There was, it was, it was mainly in Belgium. Yeah. Um, and that's then, it, that's kind of why... Like with the Epstein shit is the pe- the reason people keep getting away from it away with it is because the people who are in charge of making it go away are part of it. Well, yeah, the people that are supposed to be there to protect things are part of the problem, and so, and it's not everybody. I can't say it's everybody, but there's definitely people that can weasel their way into the position to be able to sweep things under the rug that need to be swept under the rug. Right. So, most recently, it took forever for Ghislaine Maxwell yeah. to be arrested. And this is not, before I say this, I just want to put it out there, this is not rah-rah Trump. Yeah. But, he fired federal prosecutor Jeffrey Berman. He was the prosecutor in charge of the Epstein case. Yep. Attorney General Barr requested Berman step down, and he refused, so Trump fired him, and he was replaced by Audrey Strauss, and she was immediately arrested. She's Lane Maxwell. Yep. I'm just saying. Well, it's just- It goes all the way to the fucking top. And I'm not even- Like I said, it's not pro-Trump, because there are pictures of Trump with Epstein, so I'm not saying that he is- Well, and His hands are fucking clean. I'm just saying- I don't think anybody- It goes all the way to the fucking top. And I don't think anybody in the government- is innocent. I don't think anybody is. Mm-mm. I feel like to get to a point that you're at, you have to play the game. Oh, and yeah. So, but the fact that you can take that one little chain link out, and then all of a sudden she gets ar- arrested, like, I feel like there's a little more than just a coincidence there. It's more than a co-winky-dink, yeah. if, you w- if you will. Well, and that's... Uh, it's just... This whole thing is so fucking crazy everything going on now the how much it kind this story reminds me of it this is like a mirrored version of the franklin cover-up yeah and epstein Mm -hmm. like there's and it's been going on forever for fucking yeah this was happening in the 80s and 70s and 80s with dutro all the way through the 90s to 2004 when he was arrested Mm mm-hmm Yep, and the Franklin cover-up was 50s, 60s, 70s, and yeah. yeah, I think that's when that kind of hit the shit hit the fan with that. But then, this, like, how long has the fucking Epstein shit been happening? I know. There have been women trying to come out for the last, like, 25 years at least about oh, what it. What is it? It's a, it's an actor from the 80s who died of a drug overdose. Corey. Yeah, Feldman's Corey Feldman. friend. It's no Corey Feldman's oh, the one that's still alive that's been trying the to other come out Corey. about it. Um, Corey, I can't remember his last name, but the other Corey, yeah, who, of the Corys, of the Corys, yeah, had come out and they he basically his career was gone. Yeah, his career was gone and he ended up ODing. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then Feldman ever since then has been basically trying to shout from the rooftops that. This is a problem. It's mm-hmm. real. It's not fake. And everybody's calling him crazy and saying he's just losing conspiracy. his mind. And da, da, da. What if reality's the conspiracy and conspiracy's the reality? 
Uh, Whoa, that was deep. Do you think that was tequila? Or was that my brain? Gotta be honest with you, I don't necessarily know what you said. <laughs> I was zoned out for a second. And then I said, reality, was that deep or was that was that tequila? And I'm like, tequila! <laughs> what I said was, do you think the... What if the conspiracy is the actual reality and the reality is what's really a conspiracy? Do you guys ever just sit back and think maybe we're a video game like The Sims for some aliens? <laughs> and they're just doing this to see what the fuck we're going to do next. They're like, let's throw, let's throw a level- fucking coronavirus in there. See what happens. See how they would deal with that. I'd like to think my body shape would be a little bit better if I was a cartoon character or a video game character. I don't know, man. Uh, we all come in all shapes and sizes. That's what I kind of got exciting. a pandemic body going on right now. I was B- kind of bitch. Me too. I bitch, just I was kind of born with a pandemic body, so now I'm just kind of embracing it. I told it <laughs> today. I said, I was like, yeah, you know, my uh, 2020 30s happened, <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, you know, like your freshman 15, <laughs> but it's my 2020 30. <laughs> Yep. I was like, all the gyms shut down and my mouth did not shut. So I just kept eating and eating more than I usually do. And I have my first very singular stretch mark on my tum tum now. And I was so, I was so sad. I was so sad. I was like, why did you let this come to this? Where did you? Because I have it on my butt and I have them on like my legs and stuff. But that's like whatever. Yeah. It was like, Amanda, come where'd you, on. Where'd you come from, little guy? That's well, and it was I was putting lotion on the one day. Well, we just go ahead and get right into this instead of uh, uh the serious conversation. I was right. putting lotion on one day, I'm like Cause it feels different. Yeah. And I look down, I'm like, oh yep, that's good. Nice. What then, you doing there, little guy? And Brandon goes, I got like half a dozen dozen of them down there or on my stomach. And Chris goes, that's like, he's like, you have like six. And then Brandon's like, yeah, half a dozen. Chris is like, it's a fucking joke. (laughs) (laughs) This is like all day today. (laughs) It's a a joke. joke. (laughs) It's a joke, guys. Uh, All right. So that was my, my. Wow. You're right. I am pissed. I. I have, like I said, I've been pissed like the last week and a half, so let's just fucking top it off. It's just with that from my just, research. Just whoop, let's just get angry <laughs> through the roof. <laughs> All right, kid, you ready? All right, I'm ready to be pissed off. Good, because I've had nightmares, and this is the first one to give me nightmares. Oh, I'm so glad. You know how much I love things that give me nightmares. I was I had nightmares at Chris's house, and it's the first time that I've had like real nightmares, and we've slept sleeping in the same bed. Did it freak him out? Uh, Did you kick him? No, but I definitely didn't let him sleep very much because I was I was I mean not purposely. I mm-hmm. just was start startled <laughs> awake, and then the other day I woke up crying, so that was good. Um, so I hope you all really enjoyed this podcast. This is great. This is great. Well, so this is a lot. <laughs> so everybody just, you know, 
strapping. Well, as previously stated, you're telling us about Casey Anthony. Yes. So I feel like everybody should be prepared already because... Oh. It's not an unknown case. But there's so much more than what's known. Oh, there's so much. So much. Uh, so we... I start it as... So we all know the general idea of the Kaylee slash Casey Anthony... Right. Trials and cases. Okay. So first... I kind of want to talk about Casey Anthony and, like, her growing up. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And everything. Uh, she was born March 19th of 1986 in Orlando, Florida. When she was a child, Casey seemed to be a normal kid. It seemed like there were no complaints of, like, behavior or any issues with that sort of thing. And considering how much of a liar she is growing up, it's kind of weird. Well, it's probably movie. because she was such a good liar that she got away well, with right. shit. Um, and when she got into the high school, that's when she kind of either, like you said, she was a good liar, but that's when they started noticing that she would lie, like Mm -hmm. pathologically lie about just everything. Um, but when graduation was about to start, they were trying to figure out like the commencements and everything. And the day before they would walk to get their diploma. Uh, her parents got a call from the school and said that Casey was not going to be walking that next day and that she hadn't graduated and that, yeah, the day before. Dude, my parents would fucking kick my ass and they never were like harsh, harsh or like hardcore with the, the punishments. Yeah. But my parents got a phone call the day before graduation that you're not graduating because you didn't have enough credits. Yeah, my mom only backhanded me once my entire life, and that's because I told her to fuck off. So I totally deserved it. Yeah. Well, and that's I'm just saying she still would have kicked my ass if I. That's where, like, so on the last podcast episode, they were talking about how. Can you imagine though? Because like schools send out that like you have plenty of opportunities to make up for credits that you're missing. Because Henry was talking about how he was in a similar situation where he screwed up and he was like not going to graduate, and they gave him every chance possible to graduate, and he was able to. Right, but he goes, they got it's months ahead of time. Right, and the school notifies parents and shit. Wait, so she must have been like blocking that communication Mm -hmm. and like doing everything in her power to make sure her parents didn't find out. Yeah. That's what I'm guessing, because otherwise they would have known. Um, so, anyway, so her parents... Her parents. We're just going to talk about her, her parents. fucking parents. Uh, so her father, named George, was a former cop, and then at the time of Casey's graduation and trial, I believe her graduation too, but for sure her trial, he was a security guard at a movie theater. Um, So he was moving up in the world. (laughs) So I don't know if he just didn't want, like, the high stakes of cop stuff. So he wanted to be a fucking Disney theme park character. He wanted to just turn into, like, fucking Paul Bart mall cop. Yeah, so he wanted just not, he was not a all about the action type of guy, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's and it's not like necessarily a bad thing. He's just not like an aggressive guy, which is clear considering the fact that like Cindy, the mom, Kaylee or Casey, like they pretty much ran the house. Like they were just He was not an alpha male. No. 
doesn't seem that way. He was a pussy ass bitch. So, <laughs> so like I said, that might have been the you tequila. gotta stop that listening might, to that song. That might have been the tequila. <laughs> uh, so her mom, Cindy, she was a nurse, and George, like I said, George seemed kind of like a pussy ass bitch. Yeah, like okay, so his <laughs> ex wife, because he was married before Cindy. Mm-hmm said that he was nothing without his uniform as a cop. And his father had even fired him from the family business at one point. He basically, he just seemed kind of like this... He have emasculation uh, issues? Huh? Was he like an emasculation issues? Like he didn't yeah. feel manly enough for I don't know. submissive kind of thing? From what I read, it's like, because he also like, but he's also now the only one that's like going against Casey mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily and believe she's guilty and you know mm-hmm. like that sort of thing but her mom doesn't believe she's guilty she thinks she's innocent or at least says that Bitch, she thinks please. she's innocent um um but according to law she is innocent so all of this is listen we just had a whole allegedly. entire discussion about how fucked up the law is so yeah no i'm just saying that technically there's no double jeopardy she wouldn't be able to go to court again so hashtag allegedly allegedly uh anyway so casey was basically a mini cindy casey and cindy were very narcissistic from everything that i've read everything that i've heard they were kind of just all about themselves, and when Cindy had Casey, she was all about Casey. So then Casey grew even this even bigger, like, narcissistic instant gratification. I want it now because I want it now, not because, mm-hmm. you know. Um, She's very Veruca Salt about it. Yes, and it seemed like Cindy backed her up in anything that she... I want the pony, daddy. But I want the golden the egg! egg. <laughs> We'll get you a pony when we get home. I want it now! (laughs) Calm down, Veruca. Uh, But yeah, she was very... uh, Cindy, Cindy, Cindy. I don't think Casey's a great person just generally because I don't think anybody is just made into a sociopath. You know, I don't think... It's the nature versus nurture debate. Yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Cindy did not help it by basically, um, I don't know, just letting her do whatever the fuck she wants to and backing her up on it. Not even just letting her, like, right. pushing the lies more. I think it's a definite combination of the two. Yeah. Because if you have a sociopath who has a great family more than likely you're just going to be a really good businessman. Right, you're just going to be like a titan in business. Right, but if you're a sociopath who's got a mom that is super domineering and and likes to play DJ Jittles with you while you sleep or some weird shit like that, you're definitely going to kill people. (laughs) I'm going to go back to reading now DJ Diggles. (laughs) That was... I didn't know how else to say it. That was weird. (laughs) I don't know how else that that was just i was not expecting it because <laughs> i was like you, like an over domineering mom you know like every single man serial killer well yeah and they always make them sleep with them or <laughs> yeah but that doesn't mean they're dj sorry. diddles I'm so, I'm sorry i'm sorry would you <laughs> i just had a flash in my head because like i said i've been listening to a lot of last podcasts on the left and i watched the one about the green river killer uh-huh 
the bee pants, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Gary. <laughs> oh God! If you can't tell, we both love last podcast on. Our oh left. my gosh! And I feel like. I fucking love Ben Kissel. I love Marcus. I love Henry. Henry, Henry Zabrowski. You're my spirit animal. <laughs> fucking pee pants, Dude, Gary. I think I think Ben's my spirit animal. <laughs> I fucking love Ben. So like I love him dry. so much. <laughs> He's like, oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, focus. Um, Back to the terrible story. Right. Well, that's I'm like, but it's good because I'll say this and then it'll I can get it out of my head. Yeah. Uh, so, with her mother, uh, she told her, like, this graduation thing came out, right? So, her mother's response was basically, just pretend you're gonna graduate. Do the party. They didn't want to tell her family and friends that she didn't graduate. Do the party, take the presents, do the stuff, but we'll just tell them that, here, it says, quote, the school messed up. And you weren't on the roster for marching, and we were just not going to march. And so it's just like, she's just exacerbating this lying thing and making it like, see, it's okay, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, eventually she went on, she got her GED, you know, like, she did the stuff to get that whatever it is, but the fact that they lied about something so big, Mm -hmm. it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. So... Between this and when Casey got pregnant with Kaylee, there wasn't a lot to it because, I mean, she graduated, 18-year-old. She found out she was pregnant when she was 19. So there's, like, that year in between. But it doesn't seem like she was, like, partying or being crazy or anything during Mm -hmm. that time. Just, like, normal 18, 19-year-old stuff. So I... There wasn't anything, like, interesting and, like, salacious to talk about during that time. But Casey lived with her parents throughout this period of her life. Nothing wrong with that. Like, it's normal for right after high school to be in there or whatever. Or when you're 30. (laughs) No, wait. After I turned 30, it changed to my parents live with me. Yes. (laughs) And you're 31. Fuck. You. I'm gonna be 32 in a month. You're fine. Um... Yeah, and you're engaged and going to move in with your fiancé. Meanwhile, I live in my parents' basement. I'm sorry, my parents live with me. I'm sorry you're in this circumstance, okay? (laughs) Clearly this shit's stressing me out! Anyway! (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Casey lived with her parents during this time, and it seems like she kind of took full advantage of that, though, which is the problem. Mm -hmm. She, so... (laughs) <laughs> she they paid for everything she didn't have a job but she said she had a job we'll get to that um depending on <clears throat> i'm sorry um <clears throat> and i tooted as i did it cool <laughs> just can cut that out i like coughed and went <laughs> the same time um <laughs> so they paid for everything and she's still like She'd, like, freak out. She'd have adult tantrums. You know what I mean? Like, she'd freak out and just, like, yell at them about stupid shit when mm-hmm. they'd do something that it was, like, don't cross Casey because you don't want to deal with it yeah. type of living Bullshit. in the house. Um, When she was 19, she had noticeably gained a baby bump. Because she's fucking pregnant. Yeah. 
And her parents asked her about it. They're like, hey. Hey, you got a tumor or are you, you pregnant? What's going on here? And she's like, she she swore that she was still a virgin. <laughs> I know I'm not pregnant. I'm still a virgin. And they're like, mm, okay. Well, she was seven months along. Ooh. And she finally told her parents, okay, I'm pregnant. Like, you can't. At that point... There's it's, no hiding There's a full-grown fucking baby well, inside you. you can... She's such a, like, skinny girl, too, anyway. Like, a petite <laughs> figure that... You're not you're not gonna hide that. Why'd you do that? Did you hear that? Yeah. Oh, my God, that felt so good. On. <laughs> was we... Ew. <clears throat> so, she finally told her parents she was pregnant at seven months or so. But... You know, it's just so weird because it's like both Casey and and Cindy, they still like acted like she wasn't pregnant. Like they went to family functions and they tell people, no, she, you know, it's just water weight, like that sort of thing. That's that's not a thing. You you don't just gain it water weight in your uterus. It's not a. It's not a thing. So. Again, Cindy was backing up Casey's lies. In fact, she was, like, encouraging them. Right. Uh, The father of Kaylee is also a mystery. Nobody really knows who Kaylee's dad was. Well, it's because she was still a virgin. Yeah. Still born. Immaculate conception. The a thing. Uh, what? That's a thing. <laughs> Why are you mad at me? <laughs> uh, Casey had told multiple stories um, throughout the thing telling different fathers, different people. So first she said that she said to Cindy that the father was a one night stand stand named Eric Baker, but he had died in a car accident a little while after Casey had shared this with her mother. So convenient. There he is. Um, but then there was Jesus Ortiz. Uh, he was an ex, they say ex-boyfriend and everything, but I don't think she ever had, like, boyfriend boyfriends. I think it was, I think it was that she'd, like, cling on to one person. Like, she had, I'm sure she had boyfriends, but she didn't seem to have anybody that was, like, for a good amount of time Mm -hmm. that definitively you could look at it and be like, that was her boyfriend. Um. But this guy was an ex-boy friend mm-hmm. of hers, and he actually did die in a car crash. Weird. Uh, but she, basically what I, to me what this shows is that she's literally just throwing stuff to the wall, trying to like Make find something that makes people go, oh, okay, and stop talking about things. Yeah. Um. But on August 9th, 2005, Kaylee Marie Anthony was born, her daughter, mm. who, freaking adorable. I know. Just gotta say. Cutest little baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey's friend said that overall it seemed like Casey was a pretty good mom. She seemed tentative and loving for the most part, though Kaylee spent a good amount of her time at her grandparents' house. Casey also didn't seem to be, like, the crazy party girl that everybody made her out to be like she she was the person that was against 
people smoking weed and like mm-hmm. she was kind of the mom of the group you know she was the one who was taking care of people when they go do something she wasn't like get crazy on the tables type of thing at this point in her life mm-hmm. um so initially it seemed that way and it seemed to be that the prosecution at the end part of their issue was that they were so stuck on this like party girl thing that they missed even making a story that makes sense to people you know Mm -hmm. so i think it's just been very highlighted and i don't think it's a huge part of her i guess i don't know anyway so they really focused on it instead of focusing on the actual like exactly this bitch murdered her baby well and this is this is when like the slut shaming thing comes into play. Like, see, she could murder her baby. She's showing her boobs. Listen, I show my tits all the time. Okay, it's like, okay, relax, dude. <laughs> They're just bags of fat. Um, but anyway, <laughs> with little nipples on. <laughs> at, I just with little nipples. <laughs> so, at the time of Kaylee's birth, Casey was twenty years old. And it seemed like she kind of did what any 20-year-old would do with a baby, you know, ha- basically have, like, grandma help with them a lot and whatever. So, again, I forget how young she was when all of this happened, because right. she's only a couple years older than us. Yeah. And right now we're 31, 32-ish, so I'm like, how is it? It's just so weird. Anyway, so... Another huge lie that Casey told was that she worked at Universal Studios. She said she I remember was a, this part of it. Yeah, she said she was an event planner at Universal um, for two whole years. She acted like she was going to this full-time job at Universal Studios. Just, where was she going? Just hanging out, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly am not sure, like, maybe she had it had them thinking that it was like some weird schedule where she would go a few days at a time or you know what i don't really know but i know this is what she always said she was going to work and how stressed she was at work and yeah uh (laughs) she would come and go as if she was going to work but never actually go to work and she would even draft fake emails from her job to show to people and complain how busy work was sometimes just so she would have this backup, like, oh, look at this. Like, even creating, like, new emails just to... Can I just tell you how much work that sounds? Like, that sounds Get a like... fucking job! That sounds like more work than actually just going to work. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it's like why? Going and getting a job would have been less work than pretending she had a job. Right? And the, and the way she pretended, like, I just don't... Wow. Um... But now on to the, like, main meat of the story that I want to talk about is the disappearance of Kaylee Anthony. Mm-hmm. So, well, and murder, but at first, and for, like, months, it was a disappearance because they didn't have a body. Uh, so June 16th of 2008, Cindy left the house at about 7 a.m. to head to work. George left the house that afternoon, um, but some say, some sources said it was, like, 1250-ish. Some said it was 230. I couldn't find one that actually, like, 
congruently like matched up. But he that's when he left for work. And then whenever that happened, sometime between that, because that's when he last saw Kaylee, and 7 o'clock that night, something happened to Kaylee. Because at 7, Casey met with her... Again, they say boyfriend, but I would say they met a couple weeks ago and started seeing each other. And she just buddy. Well, it's he's a DJ, so it's kind of cool. DJ. So, but anyway, Casey was supposed to meet up with this Tony Lazaro at 7 p.m. and she did. So, at some point between her dad George leaving and Casey going to Tony's. Something happened to Kaylee. That's basically where we're at. Um. So anyway, Tony Lazaro was from Long Island originally. He's from Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Uh, and he is a DJ and party promoter with a roommate named Roy. And uh, was thing... Roy seventy three years old? But he went by Clint. <laughs> like not... his nickname was Clint, but his real name was Roy. Please tell me how that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know. That was, this was like one of the conversations I remember from the last podcast episode of this, where they were like, but why? <laughs> that made, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Uh, so DJ Anonymous and DJ BD were their DJ names. Oh, so fucking cool. Yeah, they were the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> so Casey and Tony Lazaro met on Facebook. Like, uh, just a few I mean, weeks before. Better than MySpace, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is debatable. <laughs> but, so, they met on Facebook, like, three-ish weeks before she came over to his house this night at seven when something happened to Kaylee that day, okay? Mm-hmm. Just to, timeline concept of, like, how long they've known each other. Not even dated. Known each other. Uh, that night, the couple rented a couple movies from Blockbuster. They were going to have a little movie night in. Uh, both From the BB. (laughs) DJ Anonymous. (laughs) Uh, both Tony and his roommate said that Casey seemed fine. Like, nothing was wrong with her. She wasn't acting weird. She didn't say anything about anything. And so, they didn't think anything of it, because Kaylee was left with her grandparents pretty regularly so it's not like she came around all the time with Kaylee with her yeah you know four days after the last sighting of Kaylee on June 20th Casey Anthony was in a hot body contest this is where that whole thinking she's a party girl thing happened it was put on by Tony's uh, DJ company that he worked for at the Fusion Ultra Lounge in Orlando. Sounds sexy. Yeah, it was nice. Did she win? It was class. No. Um, so she didn't it have was, a hot body. It was classy. You, you want to see pictures? I've seen pictures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point, Casey basically had moved into the guy's house. Like, That's just so was fucking weird. Sleeping there. Kind of acting... Acting as, like, a housewife type of thing where he she was cleaning up, doing the dishes, like, just kind of taking care of them. Ew. Um, but. You mean, like, a mom? They, they, uh, on last podcast, I think they called her a den mother. A DJ den mother. Um, but. They, <laughs> <laughs> but. 
But this was unbeknownst to her parents. As far as they know, her and Kaylee just left. And they don't know if she... And whenever they'd ask her, like, where Kaylee was, what she was doing... Oh, I'm working. Kaylee's with a nanny. Okay? Zanny the nanny. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I but remember that part. Anyway, so, so she moved in with these guys. She basically told Tony that her mom gave her no choice. That she basically was like, you need to move out and figure this out. And that's why Tony kind of allowed it to happen. Because... He he was like, uh, okay. So right. it was supposed to be just like, I'll stay here for now. And it turned into just like kind of moving in. Um, it is believed that Casey was using Xanax rec- recreationally now um, with the common, which was common around like the club kids of the area at that time. Mm-hmm. They were using Xanax and then staying up and then getting like fucking high as shit. Sounds terrible. It's supposed to, like, put you to sleep, doesn't it? Xanax it's is, like, a, like an, it's an antidepressant. Yeah. So, I don't really know what overindulging on that means, but it sounds fucking terrible, because there's nothing worse than not being able to sleep when you, you should sleep. Right. But, like, and keep in mind, like, this is four days after Kaylee has either disappeared or died. And I think that's why they, like, focus so much on yeah. that is because it's so callous when you consider yeah. the fact that your daughter's been missing for four days and you're part of a hot body contest and you're getting high on Xanax and partying all the right. time. Well, so I get why they focused on that, but I think they spent too much time focusing on that and not enough on the actual facts and Right. There was definitely a lot of circumstantial facts. And it doesn't help that the investigation was not properly run. There were a lot of things that were misdone and didn't get documented the way they should have. Right. Um, But yeah. So there were pictures of the night of this hot body contest that were the big thing. Don't stick your tongue out at me and shimmy at me when you do that. (laughs) Um, That... That would be the big thing that the prosecution pretty much hung on to. Uh, as far as everyone knew, Casey was around at the... <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm going to start that over. As far as everyone who knew Casey, and she was around at that time, Kaylee was alive and with a nanny named Zanny, like mm-hmm. you said. Zanny the nanny. But Zanny is also a street name for Xanax. Yep. So that's where they're like, hmm. That's curiouser and curiouser. Interesting. Interesting. Not clever at all if that's the case. Once again, though, like, think about all the lies that she's done where she just plucks it from something she's seen. Like, yeah. for example, the ex-boyfriend or the guy that she had the one night stand with that died. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a guy named that... With that name that died in a car accident and she just, like, picked him out and told that story. Like, oh, but, you know, he'd see he's dead. He died. Mm -hmm. Because she's just just crazy like that. So, both her her friends and family heard of this Zanny, the nanny that Casey had talked about, but no one had actually met her. Uh, There was a journal entry from June 21st that said... I completely trust my own judgment, and I knew that I made the right decision. This is the happiest I've ever 
this is the happiest I've been in a very long time. I hope that my happiness will continue to grow. This is one day after that hot body contest. Um, but it was just marked June 21st. It didn't have a year, which comes up in the trial. Because it could have been when she was younger. Yes. Um, this notably was not dated with the year, like I said. Uh, the July, or in July, Casey got a tattoo, Bella Vita, which is beautiful life in Italian. Oh, yeah. And then later on, she says that she got it in honor of Kaylee, who she hasn't told anybody is missing at this mm. point. Just throwing that out there. Um, Casey barely had contact with her parents at this time when she moved out, quotation mm -hmm. marks, and all of it was negative. Like, she was stealing stuff from them, and... It was just, so she constantly ran out of gas, so, like, she stole gas cans from them. So he kept gas, George did, so that when Casey ran out of gas, he could just grab a buck. Like Because it happened so fucking often? Yeah. Because Casey had this well-paying job, but she didn't have this well-paying job, and they were paying for everything but gas. So then she would go until the very last drop and then, oh, whoops, I ran out of gas. And then she'd get more gas for the next few days because he'd go get a thing, a tank, fill it up a little bit or get her to a gas station and they'd fill it up. Ugh, what a bitch. Yeah, no, no joke. And this is what I mean is she like would throw these tantrums like so she sold this gas can. He called her out on it because it was missing from their shed like her and Tony Lazaro came and got it. Mm hmm. And she came back and he's like, you need to come here and explain, like, why these things are happening. She came back and basically just yelled at them. But whenever they'd ask her about Kaylee, she'd be like, well, she's with Zanny. And she was always, like, doing something fun with Zanny, going to Disney World, going to whatever. Like, they were doing some sort of outing. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the only face-to-face -face times that Casey saw her parents through the 31 days that Kaylee was missing before she admitted that she was missing. Okay. Um, anyway, so I'm sorry. I keep getting ahead of myself. Cause like I said, I've been like reading all this mm -hmm. stuff. So now it's just like, uh, word vomiting out of me. And then I'm like, wait, I already said that. I already said that. I already said that. <laughs> um, when they would ask about her, see, I already said that. Okay, so right around this time, Lee, who is her brother, uh, drove Casey's car, and he commented that the car kind of smelt like death. Like it had that rotting smell. I hate this part. Like, I hate that. Yeah. Uh, to this, Casey just said, oh, a couple squirrels had crawled up into the engine and died, and they just kind of left this, like, stank behind. That doesn't fucking happen. That's not a thing. Um, so... She also was confronted by one of her friends about the smell in her car. And to that, Casey said that she had hit a squirrel and it stuck. To That's the... not a thing. Yeah, no, I know. Are your friends stupid? They must be. Like, you... if you got in my car and it smelled like a rotting body, you'd be like, bitch, why does this car smell so bad? I'm pretty sure I have asked you, why does your car smell like a rotting body? And then the answer is... I forgot 
biscuits underneath. I forgot corn muffins. Yeah. In my car from Cracker Barrel from six months ago, and it's now 110 degrees outside. It's like, oh god. When I finally found them, they're like liquefied into gel. Gel. (laughs) They had broken down to their individual particles. Oh my gosh. Oh god. But yeah, so. Anyway. So her car stunk. And people are commenting on it, like, enough to where it's noted. Not my biscuit car, Casey's car. Yeah, well. My biscuit car, too. It was, that was pretty rough for for a hot second. For a hot second. But we found the biscuits and it was fine. We got them out. took them out. It was good. (laughs) So, right after this, and a week or so um, after the gas can incident, so after her brother had ridden in the car and commented on the smell, it was just like a day after that and that all happened like a week after the gas can thing when he she stole it from her parents right so casey went to a cash cash checking check cashing i thought you were gonna say cash a concert i was like i don't remember this what, wait what when did Kesha went, come on <laughs> she went to a check cashing um place and she parked right next to the dumpster and then went in and she actually like had stolen a lot of people's uh checks and written bad checks to herself because you know early 2000s it was a little do that. easier to do that you could do that you could just write bad checks um so she left the car there saying that it ran out of gas again she never t- like took it from that parking lot and the car got towed and then a couple weeks after that uh, George was called by this tow company. Because wasn't it his car? Yeah, it's like his mom, her mom's car or something, yeah. but it's under his name because they he got the loan, but it's her mom's car. Yeah. Something like that, because then the mom later on, like, calls in to try to do, like, a Grand Theft Auto when mm-hmm. to do, like, the tough love bit, like, calls 911 and is like, I have a person, I have yeah. a 21-year-old, whatever it is, you know that thing yeah um but anyway so she he gets a call from this tow truck company saying that that car has been sitting in the impound lot since june 30th so that's like it's july 15th ish right now so we got like 15 days under our belt of it just sitting there okay since the 30th uh so george goes to pick it up when george went to the lot he and the man who worked there commented on the smell of the vehicle. Remember, George is an ex-cop. Yeah. So, like, he kind of knows the smell of dead bodies. Oh, he fucking knew. Uh, so the impound guy legitimately said that it smelled like a dead body. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his words. Exactly. And then George, like, opened up the door and the smell, like... He said it was like an unmistakable stench that hit him when he Mm -hmm. opened the door. So he went back to the trunk and he just prepared himself for what he was going to find. Like he knew it couldn't be great. So he pops open the trunk and he just finds garbage bags with like food and maggots in them. Like Uh. garbage bags that have been sitting there since it got picked up from being towed. So, it's garbage. 
they think. Yeah. At least that's what it's supposed to look like. Well, I mean, I mean, I could see how Florida heat, middle of summer, mm-hmm. if there's like food and meat in the garbage can, the garbage bags, that it could smell similar to the smell of death. But I think death and decay has its own unique mm-hmm. scent that when mixed with garbage, I guess, could it could pass, but it just seems curious to me that they didn't investigate that a little bit further. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, they they do when the time comes. Um, but he didn't when he opened the trunk. He just went, garbage bags, gross, and... Well, no, he didn't. I mean, he didn't do it. He just, I mean, he picked up the garbage bags mm-hmm. and threw them out because it was like they were filled with pizza and stuff is what they yeah. said. So throughout the time that Casey and Kaylee had like left the grandparents' house, they had been inquiring about her and were worried that something went wrong. So I think that on some levels he knew before mm-hmm. any of this happened because they both were just like, it's weird. That this is weird. Yeah. Sh- they just disappeared. Uh, to George, it really didn't smell like rotting pizza. It's ro- it smelled like death. So he mm-hmm. was like, it was just an unmistakable smell of flesh, like rotting human flesh. Ugh. Gross. Which I don't understand, because if he took the garbage out, the body wasn't in the car. So what was stinking? Well, there was a big stain underneath the garbage with hair on it. Do you not remember that Uh -uh. part? Okay. So when he got home, he called Casey and told her to come explain. This was on July 15th. um, To come explain where, why this had happened and where Kaylee was after this month of like whatever, because Mm -hmm. they hadn't seen her at all, which is weird since they lived with her the entire time. Right. Um, So when she came over, Cindy called 911 on Casey and tried to report the Grand Theft Auto since it was technically her car. Right. On her 22-year... I I have a 22-year-old person that has Grand Theft Auto sitting in my auto with me. So, I don't know if she was just got in the car with her or what. Yeah. Like, if they were talking in the car. I don't know. But this is... She was... She was saying this to the operator so that Casey would hear. Right. And it was kind of disjointed because she was trying to make it clear to Casey what she was doing. And the operator's like, what? So where is this person? Is this your, your son? My daughter. My daughter, ma'am. Like, she just, I don't know. It was just really weird. Um, anyway, the only reason it's, it seemed like a hollow 911 call and why they had waited a month. And until they found the car to call is kind of weird, considering she never said she was moving, moving, and she just kind of got up and left, and they have no idea where Kaylee went. Right. This is... Henry Zabrowski freaks the fuck out, I think it's this time, where he's like, nobody did anything. Like, nobody cared. Nobody did anything. Mm -hmm. Why did nobody do anything? And it was because they didn't want her to freak out and be mad. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Like... It's a, there's a little girl who's disappeared. Like, right. who gives a shit if Casey throws a tantrum? Mm-hmm. It's like, I agree. 
That's it's just so it's just so crazy to me. This whole thing is like, why, why? So after this, they sat there waiting for two hours while the police were supposed to be coming, and they never came because they were just like, mm-hmm. this is not imperative to get done right this second. Uh, while waiting, they began kind of questioning Casey a bit more, and they were getting more concerned for Kaylee. They realized that the story didn't really make sense and nothing kind of lined up with what Casey was saying, where Kaylee was and all that stuff. So Cindy calls 911 again and says that there may possibly be a missing child for the last month. And the operator's like, oh, what? I'm yeah. sorry. So she what? like says this that it's possible missing child yada 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 um and they're like okay so you're reporting a missing child what you know so again it's something that's important but it's not like nine one one turn the lights on run to that house doesn't she say in the first night the second nine one one call when she says we have a missing child i'm afraid my daughter did something with her there's a third nine one one call third nine one one calls and she's saying her daughter was kidnapped she, so, in the first one, she basically just said that there may be a missing child. My daughter hasn't seen her in a month. I don't know what happened to her. And then the third one, she goes, my my daughter's, or my granddaughter is missing um the nanny took her it smells like a damn dead body and that she like is freaking out like hyperventilating Mm -hmm. just saying all this random stuff and the operator's like i what what are you talking about i already called once and it's like it's not the same operator who answers your call every time but i already told you that this this and this and da 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 and then casey gets on the phone and is like hello so my daughter the nanny took my daughter and I've been trying to figure out where they are and I've been trying to get her back for the last 31 days and I actually just got a call yesterday about like that's how she talks mm-hmm. on the fucking 911 call and it's ridiculous mm-hmm. where it's just so there's no emotion stone. stony Ugh. but anyway so um again getting ahead of myself Anyway, so when they asked Casey why she hadn't said anything to any anybody about this, like, kidnapping, right? She said she had been too embarrassed. That's not how this fucking works. She's That's not, oh my fucking god, you're, oh my, oh, oh, oh my god. She also, at one point, like, later on, I think, because it wasn't right now, but later on she was saying that she was afraid that maybe, um... This Zenaida Gonzalez, that is Zanny the nanny, mm-hmm. would do something to her if she brought the authorities into it. This is what, this is what Casey says. But we'll just show how full of shit Casey is here in a minute. Um. Anyway, so she admits to all of this stuff that the babysitter took her. That it's been thirty-one days, and that she had just gotten a call saying something about her daughter being with them or whatever right though she knows that her daughter is dead at this point Mm -hmm. i mean we all know that they find her body and she's dead 
Mm-hmm. It's just, I... I just don't even have words She's half the time. She's fucking disgusting. I just... Uh, get so, on with it. <laughs> right? So the cops show up at Casey's house, and she tells them about this woman named Zenaida Gonzalez, like I said. And she said that she had met her through her ex-boyfriend, who was named Je- Jeffrey Hopkins, that this woman used to babysit Jeffrey's toddler, right? Wrong. Jeffrey mm-hmm. doesn't know Zen- any Zenaida, and he doesn't have a kid. I was like, what? Yep. That's it's just doesn't know, doesn't have a kid. Total bullshit. Just made it up. Okay. The next day, on July 17th, Casey took the police to where she claimed that Zanny lived. She detailed the apartment, gave the number. When they checked the apartment, there was no Zanita living there. In fact, it had been empty for months. Mm. Uh Casey Never told anybody about the missing child and how she had been kidnapped, including her boyfriend and his roommate and her family. She never said anything to anybody. Uh, Casey said she did tell somebody she told her a couple of her co-workers at Universal Studio. So the cops were like, let's go to Universal Studios. Yep. <laughs> so they go to Universal and as soon as they like walk up to the security, like front desk they're like they look her up there's no employee named casey anthony um she goes no i work here no i work here finally at one point like a manager comes out and basically goes well i mean it's a missing child case it's whatever you know what go ahead come in do what you need to do i'm fine with it so they go in and casey just kind of starts like walking around these hallways and the police are following her and as she's walking she's like waving and gesturing at people and they're all kind of looking at her like who the fuck are you okay whatever and then she finally gets to like a spot that's like a dead end it's not like the end of a hall that turns into another hall it's just Mm -hmm. the end and she turns around and goes okay i don't work here what the fuck? Uh, who? What? What was she doing? Like, what was she planning on doing? Was, like, just I, walking around Universal Studios all day until they gave up? See, and like Marcus Parks brings up a really good point that he thinks that because of the narcissistic like personality she has, she just thinks somehow the world is magically gonna work out in her favor. Like, it doesn't matter what she does. Doesn't matter what you know. That somehow things are going to work. And he's like, and it kind of does. As shitty as it sounds, mm-hmm. it kind of works. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> the major deception of Casey. What does that? Oh. <laughs> what does that even fucking mean? That I read it totally wrong. That I skipped a line and I read the wrong word on the first line. The major description of Casey is just mellow. She didn't seem concerned. She didn't seem rushed. She didn't seem to have a care in the world when she was doing these things. Like, it wasn't important or imperative to get someplace. Uh, Casey was questioned after that. The police uh, would tell her things that 
things happen. Like, they were trying to get her to at least admit to something without leading her. So they'd be like, we understand that stuff happens. You know, we want you to be able to, you know, clear your conscious, whatever, blah, 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 Was this blah. an accident? Did you... Basically. Was it an, you were young? Is it an accident? Did you did panic? Did something happen? You panic? It happens. Like, pe- it happens to people, right? So they're trying to get her to share anything, but she refuses to admit anything. She says nothing. She won't... She stonewalls them. She just won't say anything. You know, I have to say that even though she's a terrible fucking person and I know she's going to burn in hell, um, it's kind of an evil genius. No, she's like, way smarter than Jodi Arias. Let's just say that. Yeah, like, I commit a crime. I'm not going to fucking say anything. You don't have proof. Mm-hmm. But. Fuck off. Here's the thing, though. She fucking walked to Universal Studio with them, walked around until that she had to admit that she already lied. So she lied. lied about working at Universal Studio. But a lie about that doesn't mean, you know, I'm just saying but that a lie she's, is a lie and she's lied more than once to the cops already. Right, but they still have no, like, I just, I just, she's not like the normal criminal that blabs to, because she's so or, cocky or about. Or a person over... that has any sort of feeling of guilt. Right, right. But I mean, she's obviously a sociopath, but she's not the kind where I've got to I've got to brag about how good I am. Got to let you know how smart I am, right? No, I'll I'm just, just gonna be smart by not talking. I'm gonna show you how smart I am by shutting my goddamn mouth and not telling anybody. Not that that's a good thing, and not that she shouldn't be in jail for the rest of her life, even though she's not. I don't think she's cool. I'm just saying, right. as far as criminals go, kind of an evil genius. Well, and it's just the thing, generally. If you're in being investigated for something, you shouldn't talk until you have a lawyer there. Dude, my answer is just not fucking talk at all. Yeah. Because. I'm an only child. Or I'm a. I'm not an only child. I'm the baby of the family. I'll fucking. I'll win the quiet game. (laughs) It's because everybody wanted to play with you to make you shut up. It's true. Anyway, so while she was being questioned, uh, forensics dug into the car a bit more. Uh, They brought in, uh, what are they called? Cadaver dogs. Mm -hmm. They brought in a cadaver dog who indicated that there had been decomposition in the trunk of the car. And then there was also a cadaver dog that was signaling decomposition in the Anthony's backyard. Mm -hmm. But then they said that later on they brought another one out there and that one didn't signal in that same spot. And they're like, could have been something else. Something. Yeah. They're not sure if it meant anything at all or if there was something there and it got moved because they had swept that entire area. And then all of a sudden they found that guy found it when he went to go get a pee, go take a pee. Yeah. Um, found the body. <laughs> Spoiler, in case you didn't know the story. Um, there was also a huge stain on the fabric in the trunk, and there were hairs that were in the stain that were collected and examined. Cindy had basically said that there that it was a figure of speech when she said that it smelt like a dead body in Casey's car. She wasn't meaning literally it smells like a dead body. I just mean it smelled really bad. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, right? No, that's like, let's backtrack a little bit, huh? So, she said that Casey 
or she said, Casey said, I put this because I was like, I guess I was just talking about Cindy. I should probably Mm -hmm. specify. So Casey said that she had taken the garbage out of her boyfriend's house, put it into her trunk so that she could get rid of it and forgot it was there, ran out of gas at the check cashing place. Um, st- and it stayed in the trunk and rotted in the impound lot, which is reasonable. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the fact that her brother smelt it and a friend smelt it for days before she went to the check casting place, like, how long did you have it in your trunk before that, if that's what it is, if they smelt the smell too? Mm-hmm. So there was still no word of this Zanny the Nanny character and a press conference is called trying to figure out who this Zanita Gonzalez was. And then, kaboom. It, that's when it got hit the media and mm-hmm. everybody picked up on this story. A cute little girl, a good-looking mom, mm-hmm. you know. It was just made for a media storm. Also, it, she's not that good-looking. I don't think so. I think she looks like a demon. She looks kind of like a pug. Just... She also has one of those smiles that shows a lot of gum. I just... You're not that cute. I don't know. Like, if I had... I don't know. If I had to scale her on, like, for being a probably murderer, maybe. She's okay. But, like, just general public? Eh. Eh. From all the... Because then I just think of fucking... What's her name? Eileen Warnock. Yeah. And I'm like... Compared to her, you're you're looking pretty good. <laughs> she was looking rough. She lived a rough life. <laughs> From all the aspects of the TV, it had everything. It was like a sex appeal type of thing. Uh, poor innocent child. There was a mystery because they hadn't found the body yet. So it just kind of had... Fucking Nancy Grace had a field day. Oh, yeah. She really did... It, she got on that one and, and so Jody Arias too. didn't realize that Jody Arias happened like six months before this. Yeah. That they were so close. Mm-hmm. I had no idea until I was like reading these dates and I was listening to the Jody Arias like podcast yeah. and I was like, wow. Oh, no. And then they just mentioned it this morning when I was listening to the second half was they were like, yeah, this all happened in like blah, 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 blah with Cancy Anthony. And I was like, yeah, it did. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... <sighs> third party searches were held and they searched for weeks and weeks with no luck nobody found anything at some point throughout these searches there was an actual Zenaida Gonzalez found and she lived in the Orlando area mm-hmm. which is weird terrible for her because <laughs> there's like a handful in the population in the United States mm-hmm. and one just happens to live there And she said, I don't babysit, and I've never met or know anybody who knows Casey Anthony. So that's... Mm -hmm. So she was cleared, like, real fast. Um, After the police talked to her is when they officially named Casey Anthony as a suspect, and they arrested her. And that's when the shit show just started. Like, the media picked up on the stuff, and then all of a sudden it was this big, overwhelming saturation on the media when she got arrested for it officially. Um, they leaked the 911 phone calls, which was not by the police. It was by some other person that was in the precinct. Um, but they leaked those. 
And so people were getting very strong feelings throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, oh, Florida Sunshine Law. Yes. That's why the 911 calls were leaked. Because... That's why you get so many uh, Florida man stories. Is because they yeah. have to print... They can print... Every person that's arrested can go into... Is public record. Yep. So people can... Reporters can just go into it and... Mm-hmm. And report. Write the story. Ugh. Kind of crazy. So. Casey Anthony enlisted... Enlisted... Jose Baez... As her lawyer, and there was a second man on her team named Leonard Badilla. It's a weird name, but Badilla or Badia, Badia, Badia. probably. Um, Badilla. <laughs> oh, get out of here! You know I'm white. <laughs> I don't know things. You know I'm white. <laughs> I'm I'm trying my best, okay. Uh, so. They put up the bail for her. It was $500,000. And they actually put together like a... They had a woman, Tracy Pomeroy, stay at her house for a few days. Okay. So they hired a woman named Tracy Pomeroy to go stay at Casey's house and kind of just watch and see how she's acting, see what the household is like. Honestly, they were trying to get some sort of a reality TV show out of it. Which is unfortunate. Disgusting. Yeah. So they got her out, sent her home with this Tracy Pomeroy. She stayed there for nine days. And she basically said that Casey had this weird, like, she found things. She would laugh when it was inappropriate. She would, she was just very cold and callous and all about herself. And this is what Tracy was saying. Like, it's, this who was, P.S., hired by the defense, is saying, like, she just is very, very full of herself. Straight up crazy bitch. Yeah. So, Dr. Apar Voss had Arpad Voss, not Apar. Arpad Voss, I switched him. Why do I keep doing that? It's weird. Okay. Arpad Voss had come forward with forensics on the car. He detected dead body chemicals in the trunk of the car. Whatever that means. I... Don't know if that's actually a thing. Dead body chemicals. Well, it was probably more like... Um, but it's in the air. Yeah. That's what he oh. detected. Was air samples of dead body chemicals. That's weird. Yeah. Oh, so like methane and stuff? The things well, that your body produces when you die? That makes sense. Yeah. Well, but the problem is is that they... So like during... We'll, I'll probably say it again, but during the trial... They had another expert, like the defense had an expert come in and say there has never been a definitive proven chemical that is only excreted right. from well, a and dead Especially body. since you're opening and closing that trunk so many times, there's mm-hmm. other... Exactly. So they're like, you can't say that it is a dead body chemical because it is just a molecule in the air that happens to also come from a dead body. Yeah. So it's it's a whole thing. He... They called it junk science. So they also found chloroform traces in the trunk, which is, I mean. That's a dead body that's, chemical. <laughs> that's a, that's a definitely something that's traceable. <laughs> so when they looked at the hair for DNA um, in the trunk, 
it was proven that the hair belonged to either Kaylee, Casey, or Cindy. Because they could only do, like, um... Familial DNA. Yeah, familial DNA. I was like, what is it? Um, because it didn't have a root. Okay. So they could only go by, like, what was actually in the hair. Um, and they also found that it had been unprocessed. So that meant that it most likely was Kaylee's. Because both mom and Casey... Had gotten their hair dyed before. Uh, There was also a single... There was also a single band of dark brown discoloration at the bottom of the hair follicle, which is a decomposition band. So that proves that it came from a dead body. Um, And Casey... er, Yeah, and Casey and Cindy aren't dead. No. And their hair's processed. They bleached that shit. So, yeah, there's only one person it could belong to. Yes. But, again, the only, it's not a definitive DNA match to Kaylee. Mm-hmm. So, that's, again, just circumstantial. Uh, Casey was, <clears throat> Casey was standing by her Zanny the Nanny story throughout this whole time. Even though they've already cleared the one Zenaida Gonzalez anywhere near Orlando. When Roy Cronk came into the picture, Roy was a utility worker who went to take a pee. Regularly did in these little, like, tiny wooded areas between the, like, developments, mm-hmm. right? Where he where he worked, you know, because he's a utility worker, so he works just, like, out there. Mm-hmm. Um But anyway, so he went to take a pee on October 11th, 2008 in a small wooded area near the Anthony home and he found a bag and it made him suspicious, like something about it. He's like, this just doesn't seem right. So he called the cops. The cops forwarded him to a tip line. He reported his tip and nothing ever happened with it. And because he he was instantly, he was thinking about Kaylee's disappearance it's weird that this bag is here. I come here all the time. I need to call and figure out, like, at least let somebody know. So two months later, he was back in the area doing some work, and he had to go pee again, so he was going out to the woods. So this and he, was December? Yep. Oh, my God. And she disappeared June. Mm. Um. So he went back out to the woods to go pee, and the bag was still there, but this time it had opened been opened and like animals or something had pulled part of whatever was in it out and there was clearly something white and circular so Roy picked up a stick and he like poked around with it and like scooped it up realized that it was a skull because he had like scooped it with it in the eye socket to lift it up and look at it realized it was a skull dropped it called the police okay That is another thing that the defense talks about is Mm. Roy moved the body. We can't trust anything that's in that dump scene now because he was trying to figure out what it was. But Roy also called in two months before that to say Mm -hmm. there's something here and you should come look at it. Mm -hmm. So the police show up this time and they officially find Kaylee less than a half a mile away from her house. The body was wrapped in a canvas bag then a garbage bag, and the body was dumped. There, 
this area was in a normal neighborhood that just had a small bit of wooded area. They had searched this area. They had been there. That's why I'm like, I wonder if the dog was signaling that there was a body buried someplace and they, as soon as the dog signaled that, they like dug it up and brought it someplace else. Mm -hmm. That's why next time it came, it was like, yeah, it's not. Not smelling it as strong now. So yeah. uh, the person on one side of the wooded area that the body was found on was Zenaida Eldemavar. Elmotivar. There we go. I don't know. I always stumble over it every time. Mm -hmm. But her name was Zenaida Elmotivar. And the one on the other side was Peter Gonzalez. <gasps> uh, so she was. she <laughs> left her with Zenaida Gonzalez? Yeah. It seems pretty considering how she kind of picks things out to like yeah. just throw out there and see what people take. Seems It seems too on the nose almost. Mm -hmm. So there is no sign of trauma to the skull. And with like the hot Florida sun, everything, all that was left was a skeleton. And so with no trauma to the skeleton, it was almost impossible to definitively say what the cause of death was unfortunately mm -hmm. there were three strips of duct tape found on the body one of them on the skull or one was like so that's a big thing throughout the trial too is where were the duct tape pieces because they don't know for sure how it was found with the duct tape because Roy moved things but they were stuck to the skull. So they don't know if they were put there or if it was, they don't know how they got there, but that's like a big thing in the trial. Um, and none of these had fingerprints in them or DNA on them, which is understandable considering the fact that they've been in the like weather for how long. Yeah. But that is also a disappointing thing. Cause then that's like one thing that could have physical evidence that does not. So, three years later, finally, the trial for Kaylee's murder against her mother would start. Uh, she would be brought up for four charges, including first-degree murder, first-degree child abuse, and aggravated manslaughter. Um, the fourth one was basically, like, lying to the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she clearly did. What that meant is that it was a possible death row conviction with a capital murder charge. Uh, being you were in Florida, that's how it is. Uh, I agree. This is probably what happens. Like, so the prosecution should have probably gone for a second degree murder. I was going to say, because I feel like because it was death penalty, that's why she got acquitted. Yep. That's it's that's what I think is the problem because the stakes get so high at that point that it's like anything that could be mm -hmm. a doubt. People are like, I can't send somebody to death and think that there may be possibly a way that this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately that's what it is though. Um, and there was just too much circumstantial evidence, I think to even to win prove a death without case. Yeah. yeah. So there was also a plea deal that was offered to Casey, but she refused to plead guilty. She said, nope, I will not say that I'm guilty. I will never say that I'm guilty. I would have never done that to my daughter. The end. Being the media had been covering this so heavily and everything was so oversaturated, they left Orlando and went to Clearwater, Florida to find a jury, mm -hmm. which 
I don't know how much that would make a difference considering it was national news, but um, they went to Clearwater and the, the hardest thing is, is that with the way that things were, they had to choose a jury that was, if not undecided about things, almost leaning towards not guilty because they didn't want a jury that was already convicting her without her trial. Right. So unfortunately that, also sucks but the jury too was just like uh just because we didn't convict her doesn't mean we don't think she killed her it just means that we weren't willing to take the chance that she didn't kill her and put her to death it means that they didn't prove without a doubt that she did it um but yeah so 40 million people tuned into parts of the trial throughout its media frenzy i was one of those oh yeah Mm -hmm. i was not all that stuff freaked me out, like the real life stuff. Well, that was happening like real time, freaked me out. Like I remember when the OJ trial was happening when I was really little, mostly because it interrupted my cartoons a lot. I watched a lot of the Jody Arias trial too. Ugh, my nose is like so tickly. The so the biggest thing is like the media reported on everything from like what she ate, what she wore, when she did stuff. How she said things, the way she looked at somebody, like, it was kind of fucking ridiculous. All the little, like, clips from news and stuff that I watched this week. I was like, okay, guys, calm down. Uh, Casey's judge was named Belvin Perry. That's a name. Belvin! I love that name. Why do I like that name so much? Because you're fucking weird. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Who, from everything that I could see, was a pretty good judge. He was pretty fair. Tried his best to, like, make things as equal as possible. Uh, Casey's attitude during the trial was very two-sided. She seemed like the grieving, forlorn mother when the jury was watching, but as soon as they'd walk out for a recess or something. For the jury, she was grieving, forlorn, just seemed distraught. And when they would leave for, like, being recessed or something, she'd be laughing and joking and just being callous again. Right. About everything. Even the judge noticed this, like, but the judge, in the end, doesn't have, like, major say. Like, they have to decide she's guilty, and then the judge can kind of, like, request certain things, but... uh, So, they would also dress her up to look, make her look very conservative and innocent, and I would never do such a thing, which is funny. The, like, little button-up shirts that are, like, way up to here. Yeah. With the frills and stuff. I Right. Some of the pictures from it, I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, um, boy. Right. Opening statements started on June 6, 2011. Uh, prosecutors' opening statements highlighted that Casey was young. She was on the party scene, which she was at that time, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted less responsibilities. She was the only person in her friend group that had any sort of ties. Um, she wanted to be free and she wanted to do things when she wanted to do them. So she got rid of her biggest responsibility is basically their focus. Uh, their story was that Casey knocked Kaylee out with a homemade chloroform, suffocated her by covering her mouth and her nose with duct tape while she was out. And then she'd put her in that canvas diaper bag um, pop her into the trunk at some point, dump the body in the wooded area uh, near her parents' house. Like, just generally seems like it makes sense with mm-hmm. all the everything that yeah. is out. So, Jose Baez now 
now did his opening statement and he threw out all sorts of information that threw the prosecution for a loop because they were not prepared for it. His story is that Casey was aware of Kaylee's death, yes. Um, Kaylee, Kaylee's death had actually been an accident where Kaylee had drowned in the family's above-ground pool, mm -hmm. uh, that Kaylee had wandered outside and climbed in when the ladder was unintentionally left down, and she had drowned while Casey was taking a nap. So Casey fell asleep on the couch, and Kaylee wandered out and drowned. George found Kaylee and freaked out or found Kaylee and freaked out at his daughter and began figuring out the cover-up. Like, freaked out and was like, well, we gotta do something. Starts covering it up. George grabbed the garbage bags and put Kaylee into them and then duct-taped him up. They said apparently this is what he used to do with, like, dead pets. Oh. Um, so they were like, see, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, then George is the one who transported the body in the canvas bag and dropped it off in the woods on his way to work. And Casey just took off for a month. They say that the party spiraling was her way of grieving and dealing with things. Um, because there's not much for proof that she was a big partier before that. Well, it doesn't make sense then why her father, why they would call, like, it doesn't make sense why they would call 911 and have that phone call. See, and that's what I think, but that, that was her mom who called. But the dad was there. The dad got the car, brought it back, called Casey, told her to come and explain like, herself. What, what the fuck is happening like, here? Those are not the actions of someone who covered up a murder. Oh, no, I totally agree, but he didn't really have much say in anything they said right. about all that. Um, there was also stuff about Kronk saying that he's the one who moved the body, so, you know, that should be inadmissible, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, obviously, there are a lot of holes in this story. It does not make as much sense as the, the prosecution story. Um, they say they told Cindy about the drowning only a few weeks before the trial mm -hmm. because Cindy was unaware of all this happening. Like this was a secret from Cindy too, apparently. Right. Also. Okay. Also, if there is anything we have learned about Casey is she just makes a story out of anything. Uh, for a chunk of time, she shared a space with a woman named April Whalen, whose son had actually been found drowned by her father. <gasps> So they're wondering if maybe she Took heard this story. woman's yep heard her. this woman's story and was like, "Ooh, I can make that work. We had a pool." Mm -hmm. uh, there was also a private investigator that said he had come up with the story about the ladder when he noticed that the ladder was down in a picture in the uh, in a tabloid, and. He had actually had a sit down with Casey and Baez and they talked about the possibility of that being a thing that happened. Um, but this was only supposed to be like a hypothetical thing. This yeah. investigator said, you know, like it was just like, this is what I think could have happened. Like, could it have been something where maybe you don't know what happened? You know, like that sort of thing. Um, then Baez accused George of molesting Casey. Oh, good. According to this story, 
he had molested her through childhood into adolescence, and this is why Casey showed no emotion, because she had to keep this family secret, and it numbed her to feeling her own emotions. Is this was when George was like, ah, fuck you, bitch, that's not um, what happened. Yes. And no? Yes and no. Uh, they... So, I think George kind of knew that it was going to get thrown out there, because they can't, they can't have a scene in the courtroom. So I think for stuff like that, I had to like prep him that they were going to say something like that. The weirdest thing though is like, they throw this out there and they claim that he did this. And then they claim that Lee also was inappropriate with her, the brother. Mm -hmm. And that the reason she's a compulsive liar is because she's had to be lying about all this stuff her entire life. And it's just how she communicates now but it's the only time they brought it up like, they didn't bring yeah. it up in questioning when they questioned george mm -hmm. they didn't say anything they just planted the seed right and then moved on right so then now the prosecution has to shuffle and prove that he is innocent because the what is it called um the burden of proof is not on the defense it's on the prosecution. Mm -hmm. So they can just throw something out there and it makes the prosecution just have to try to have prove to that it's not that. happening. Yeah. So George denies that any of this ever happened, obviously. He's mm -hmm. like, this it's not true. And he's never had any sort of like convictions on anything. You know, it was literally just something they said, I think. Uh, but Baez never asked him anything about it when he was cross-examining him. They just asked him about his guilty conscience, considering he attempted to commit suicide in 2009 over his granddaughter's death, leaving a note saying, I just need to go be with Kaylee. Mm. Um, so instead, they were trying to show that he was feeling guilty about what he had done. Mm -hmm. Not just that he was this grieving grandfather that was also now having to deal with the reality that his daughter probably is a the murder. killer. Yeah. Uh, the prosecution talked about the lies um, and the car and Google searches because in March of 2008, someone in the Anthony home on the computer um, on Internet Explorers Googled chloroform 84 times. Ugh. And they also talked about the tape, the tape that was on the skull. Um, and where was it? Because that's the biggest thing is where was it? Because... No one really knows. Baez denied the smell, the smell science as fantasy forensics mm -hmm. and junk science. Um, he had multiple people come in and show that there's no proven chemicals that is spe like specifically for decomposition of a human, blah, 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 blah. This is the kind of stuff that I'm like, kind of boring, but also kind of interesting. Chloroform wasn't that unusual either. It's present in a lot of cleaning supplies. So they're, it was one of those things that they were like, eh, kind of not enough there to do anything really that they could find. And Cindy said that she was the one who did the Google search on chloroform because she was trying to look up chlorophyll and it auto-filled and she was like, huh, and just out of curiosity clicked on a chloroform thing. Um, the reason she looked up chlorophyll in the first place is because her dog was eating weeds from the back and getting, like, really, really tired. And she didn't know if the the plants were doing it. So this is what she said, at least. So 
it didn't really match the timeline because Cindy supposedly was at work at that time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it searched it 84 times could have been a glitch, they said, that it's not an uncommon glitch that for whatever reason your browser marks it as if you've searched it more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that, they try to like, you know, fuzzy those lines a little bit now. Uh, Baez also refuted the duct tape and said there were no prints because it was outside and there was also no DNA. Wouldn't think there would be. Um, he also claimed that the tape had been used by the cops to just hold the mandible on the skull. They, it was in the crime scene and they just put it there to hold it together. It's not a thing. They don't do that. They don't do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, the investigators were um, pretty complacent. They didn't really put forth too much of an effort to get everything together for this. So the the case was not a slam dunk. We'll say that. Then there was another scientist who talked about the hair being inconclusive, um, again, because of the non-exact DNA. Um, he, so the biggest thing is Baez confused the jury, which is why there is a, quote from the trial that is they he gave them a reason to doubt not necessarily a reasonable doubt which okay makes sense to me because i was like he just kind of confused them to where they're like well what is fact what is fiction i don't know because he just put all these stories out there for them to try to sift through right uh now for the closings of the trial the prosecution, they basically just um, reiterated everything and the fact that Casey's life was the only life that would get better with Kaylee being gone. Um, they showed pictures and videos of this sweet little girl. She is so cute. I can't handle it. Looking yeah. at some of the pictures, it makes my heart hurt so bad. Um, they also basically just hoped that her own actions would bury her, like her lying and her partying and all that stuff. They kind of just were, again, saying she's proven that she's a liar. She's proven that she's, you know, doing these other things. I think this case is a perfect example of a defense attorney working for his client in a prosecution team resting on their laurels and just mm-hmm. thinking that they had a slam dunk and didn't have to do a lot of work. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was, is it's... The investigation was like, well, clearly she did it, so they didn't take the time to properly, like, look Set into everything, get everything together. Um, so the defense, they were not allowed to talk about the molestation in the closing since they never brought it up during the trial after their opening statement. Mm-hmm. They're like, you never showed any proof of anything. You're not, you can't close on it. And so they did talk about the drowning story and they showed a picture of Kaylee at the back door of the house opening up the door and in the background of that is the pool so they were just showing like she could could open it yeah she could reach the doorknob she could have gotten out there um, and then on July 4th of 2011 which is kind of wild to me 2011 like I feel like I would have known more at that point, mm-hmm. but 
Uh, the jury started deliver deliberating. <laughs> deliberating. What is? What's wrong with me? Deliberating. Apart, dude. On charges of first degree murder, aggravated manslaughter, and aggravated child abuse, they found Casey Anthony not guilty. <laughs> I know. She was she was found guilty for lying to the cops though cuz there was no way of like saying that yeah. didn't happen. Uh and she got 4 years for that but because of time served she ended up only spending 10 days after being sentenced. Yuck. Um I think I think she's guilty. Obviously oh, it's opinion. She fucking did it. Uh <laughs> it's opinion don't sue me is what I typed. Yeah. It she fucking did it. Hashtag I think- allegedly, but she definitely well, right? It was such a miscarriage of justice, and it just sucks, because it's like, who was looking out for that poor kid? Nobody was fucking doing it. And it just drives me crazy. Well, where is Casey Anthony now, huh? You I asked that question? I don't fucking care. Oh, well, she's living oh, with Amanda, a private investigator. Wait, Amanda, I have a question. Huh? Where is Casey Anthony? Thanks. Uh, she's living with a private investigator from her defense team Ew. named Pat McKenna. Ew. He's like in a probably fifties, um, sixties maybe. Uh, and he was the lead investigator for the O.J. Simpson trial. He has a lot of like high profile profile cases. things that he's helped on, worked on, whatever. She's working for him as a social media researcher, so she's the one that basically digs into people's things, but because he works for defense mostly, she said she does it in a good way. Mm-hmm. She, she in an interview, she was like, I look into people's Facebooks and I, and this is literally what she sounds like. I look into people's Facebooks and I look into their things and I try to find things about them that we use in a good way. Ew. Yep. My thoughts exactly. Ew. There were multiple stories leading to the assumption that the two were be banging, is what I wrote. They be banging. Um, Stories from a private investigator, including, like, walking in, Casey Anthony ran out of his office, like, naked and laughing, and just a few, like, little... she's sucking that. Yeah. Couple couple little stories that were like, oh, yep, mm mm-hmm. Casey's father never forgave her for her accusations and for killing her, his granddaughter. He believes that uh, she killed Kaylee and Cindy is on Casey's side um, and they're still married, Ew. which is weird. Uh, I did read a article about George who said that he would, that he forgives his daughter and he would like to... Um, not rekindle a relationship, but at least talk to her now because he's kind of come not come to terms, but he's kind of come to a peace mm-hmm. with it because obviously it's not going to be anything, nothing's going to change. So he's like, he would like to talk to her, but it hasn't happened yet, according to that article. Casey has been considering having another child, is another, Ugh. Is another fun she thing. She should have been sterilized, right? She's dating. Mm. And in January of 2020, Roy Cronk, the one who's peeing, um, lost a civil case against Casey for defamation of character because she was trying to point at him for maybe he did it. You don't know. Maybe he did it. 
Um, but this is just breaking the surface, though, because there have been a lot of people that sued Casey Anthony because of the lies and stuff mm-hmm. that she, the webs she weaved. Um, so, but he lost, and that is that on that for right now. I mean, I'm sure from here on out for the next however long it is until she's dead, we're going to get updates on Casey Anthony every, like, few years. Yuck. Yeah. But she did a good a job. Nightmare. It was a lot, and I'm glad it's out of my brain now. Because it was rough. It was a rough week. <laughs> you did a good job of summing up a case that was oh my gosh full of information and it, just terrible. And well, and it was so much to like sift through to find the like little stories that would help. Because there were a couple that I'd like again, that I inserted when I would be talking, but, like, that I had put on there, and then I took them out because I'm like, this does not serve the story at all. Right. That makes it worth me writing down right now. <laughs> I can't. I don't have time for this bullshit. Um, but, yeah. So, I'm just glad that that's done. It's very interesting, but it's also very, like, draining. Oh, I know what you mean. Man, we done good, but it's late. Dude, it's only 11 o'clock. We're such grandmas. It's only... That is way later than I ever stay up. I know. That's what I mean. We're grandmas. This is when we used to go out to the bars. Yeah, I hated it then, too. <laughs> I was the one who was like, 9.30, let's fucking go. I'm ready. I want to go to bed by 12. <laughs> You're like, no, all the old people are out. We are old people now. <laughs> it's time. It's time to admit it. Oh, guys. So that was 75. 75 episodes. Fucking 75. Hey, how many episodes was it? I forgot. 75? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dude. Thanks for listening, Weird. dudes. Yeah, thanks, guys. Just um, do your things. You guys have been awesome lately. I know. We've gotten a couple more. Like, so many more ads. Mm-hmm. On Facebook. Keep doing it. Spread the word. Spread yourselves. All over town. <laughs> Damn, With that man. wet ass. <laughs> no! What? Stop what? it. Oh, what? I'm gonna punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> Just macaroni in the pot that Just shit. You stop it! I mean? <laughs> That's it! <laughs> we're done! <laughs> I quit! 75 episodes in. Linda, we're done! <laughs> We're done. Amanda can't handle my sassy weirdness anymore. <laughs> the wet ass pussy. <laughs> Don't actually say the word. Pussy. I hate that word. Okay, bye guys. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You're really obnoxious. <laughs> Rude. Truthful. <laughs> Hashtag bitch. Hashtag fuck yo. Hashtag I get the last word. Hashtag, you always do. (laughs) I mean, maybe.